This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everyone. This is actually Jeff Simpson, not Matt Townsend. Matt Townsend, Dr. Matt, is away in beautiful Costa Rica for the week. But do not fear, he will be back on Monday. And until then, we're going to have some fun. Uh, Today is Thursday, October 27th, and it's a very special day that uh, we're going to try to celebrate here. It's called uh, Cranky Coworkers Day. Do we have any... Cranky. Oh, Sadie's pointing to herself that she's cranky. You know, I always think of uh, Stanley from The Office when I think of a cranky coworker. Always sitting in a meeting with a pencil and a crossword puzzle, not listening to anything that's going on, and you could tell he'd rather be a million other places other than The Office. Because there's never a meeting at The Office that matters. <laughs> always a waste of time. So if, you are, if you're always positive, take today to be a cranky coworker and, and uh, maybe behave in a way you might not. Or opposite, if you're a cranky coworker, maybe, maybe be happy and uh, positive today. So it's whatever you want it to be today. Today is also Black Cat Day. Terry, are you superstitious at all? Mm, nope. Ladders? No. Broken mirrors? Nope. Um, not having a Native American on a Tootsie Roll Pop? No. Okay. Do you that's, know what I'm referring to? That's just bad yes. luck. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Do they still have those? So the, Are they taking those off? Because, you know... The the thinking <laughs> no was reason. that if you had one of those uh, Native Americans shooting a bow and arrow, but there's a star on the end, then you're supposed to take the wrapper into a Seven Eleven and get a free one. Ah, that was always the rumor. I I always remember finding some of those wrappers, but I don't actually recall taking them in to redeem one for a free one. Hmm. We're probably this is know. a different language to Sadie and Garrett. I think no, that, this is, that was a oh, thing for me. It's too. still it's still a thing. How well, old are you? I. Almost 24. Okay. Oh, by the way, we've got Garrett here helping us out on the board today. Tomorrow, Saturday. Saturday. Almost, Saturday. Not tomorrow. I made that mistake earlier. It's his birthday. So he almost shares his birthday with Black Cat Day. Black cats are often uh, seen as unlucky or mischievous, but not everyone knows why that is. In Celtic mythology, it was believed that fairies could take the form of black cats, and therefore their arrival to a home or village was seen as a sign of good luck. Unfortunately, the pilgrims that came after them were devoutly religious and fearful of anything remotely related to the pagan beliefs of their ancestors. And it was because of that fear that black cats went from being seen as the vessels of fairies to the vessels of witches and demons. So, spooky stuff, but very fitting because, as you know, Halloween is Monday. So... Just some fun stuff that you have to look forward to throughout the program. Uh, we will also be talking about a uh, a process that is called um, participatory budgeting and what that is all about. Sounds so- boring, <laughs> but uh, yes. it actually interests millennials into, to vote for some reason. Yeah. That's kind of the whole point of the, uh, the guest coming up. So when I read that, I was like, why would millennials care about like local budgets 
Why, yes. why is that something that gets them motivated to get involved in the political process? So, so uh, Associate Professor Selena Sue will be talking to us more about that later in the program. Uh, but first, we want to toss things over to Sadie. Are you suspicious? No. To our non-suspicious uh, black cat uh, hating Sadie Nielsen <laughs> to give us the news around the country. Sadie, what's going on? Fox News on Wednesday released its latest poll showing Hillary Clinton ahead of Donald Trump by three points within the margin of error of the poll of likely voters. Clinton leads Trump 44 to 41 percent, down from last week when she was up six points. The Democratic National Committee is suing the Republican National Committee due to Donald Trump's false comments about the election being rigged. The suit argues that the RNC has not sufficiently rebuked Trump's comments, which the RNC contends are meant to suppress a turnout in minority communities. Trump has falsely and repeatedly told his supporters that the November 8th election will be rigged based upon fabricated claims of voter fraud in certain areas or certain sections of key states, the Democratic attorneys wrote. Unsurprisingly, those certain areas are exclusively communities in which large minority voting populations reside. After a dismal start with young voters, Hillary Clinton seems to have finally won them over. A new poll by the Harvard University Institute of Politics released Wednesday shows Clinton leading Donald Trump by 28 points, with voters between the ages of 18 and 29 with 49 percent of voters to his or 49 percent support to his 21 percent. That winning margin puts Clinton ahead of where President Obama polled with millennials at this stage in the 2012 election. Obama, who is historically popular with young voters, uh, led Republican nominee Mitt Romney by 19 points two weeks ahead of Election Day 2012. And finally, ah, I just love... um, A good story about people smashing things. So there was a feud between an apartment resident in China and his property management office escalated uh, to a point where a bulldozer was summoned to smash the man's van. What? I don't think this happens very often. Investigators said... But possibly should. Go on. Yes. Investigators said the bulldozer was hired by property management company after the vehicle's owner, a building resident, parked the vehicle in front of the entrance to an underground parking structure. The man told police he had been upset about a verbal and physical altercation that resulted when he visited the resident's management office to complain about repairs needed inside his apartment. And so the property manager thought it'd be great to hire a bulldozer to just move it right out of the way. You know, wouldn't it be great if we could uh, hire a bulldozer operator to just take care of a lot of problems? Yeah, it would be. Not even literally, but just like a, you know, more of a, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't know. Uh, It'd be great if we had a bulldozer to, to just smash all the problems that we have in our lives. I agree. That's kind of negative. I'm sorry. I'm I'm a positive person, and uh, well, it is. Uh, what is it? Grumpy coworkers day or whatever. So, so I'm taking am I the, the grumpy day, one, or are you the grumpy one? I'm going to take a few minutes of the program today to be a little cranky. Okay, that makes all of our jobs easier. <laughs> so the the next couple of hours are going to go smashingly today. Sadie, thank you so much for that uh, awesome news. You do a great job. And what does your hat say? The point. Yes. What is the point of the it point? It is a marina at Lake Powell. Oh. It's great stuff. All right. So now I get the point. Thank you, Sadie. So 
We've got a couple of interesting clips that we want to play regarding Trump, which is fitting because the election is 12 days away now. Yes. Wow. So yesterday, Trump talked to CNN, ABC, and there was, I think, a newspaper he did an interview with. He doesn't do one-on-one interviews much. Okay. Right? He, he tends to do his uh, his gatherings, his, his uh, campaign stops, and you get the thousand people out there and rile them all up and stuff. That's what he wants to do. He did a couple interviews yesterday. So he was talking to CNN, and they, they were asking him. He, he's complaining a lot about in Florida, it's like 50 to 1 or something that ads, Hillary Clinton ads versus Trump ads on wow. TV. And so – they're saying you're saying there's a deficit. She has a ton of money that she's raised that she's using to make these ads and put these ads on TV. You are a wealthy individual. Are you going to self fund your advertising in, say, a, a place like Florida? Clip one. Let me just tell you that we have, I'll have over $100 million in the campaign. Hillary Clinton has nothing in the campaign. She's all special interest and donors, and they give her the money, and then she will do whatever they tell her to do. But I will have over $100 million in the campaign, and I'm prepared to go much more than that. Now, here's the question. Uh, New polls are coming out. We're leading Florida. We're doing great in North Carolina. We're doing great in Pennsylvania. We're doing great all over. We're doing really well in New Hampshire. Uh, Ohio, as you know, and Iowa are doing fantastically well. I'm telling you, uh, CNN doesn't say it, but I think we're going to win. So he's saying when all is said and done, I'll have spent $100 million on the campaign? I heard yesterday he had spent around $56 million or so, so far, of his own money. And so now they're saying, you know, since the last 18 sure. months. Yeah. And they're saying, and so they were asking, are you going to spend more? And then he said there, like, he'd spend $100 million. And so the numbers are kind of weird. So maybe he's going to spend more. Um, some would say if he could raise more money, he wouldn't have to spend his own money. But people, you know, big donors that normally would would uh, give their money to a Republican candidate have moved away from Trump. With, so is that he has to fill in the blank? Is that what the what he's mm. doing with his money, or is he doing it because he wants to be self funded and stay away from the special interest? I'm not sure. But with 12 days left, yeah. is this extra 50 million or so going to make a difference? I don't know. With 12 days, that it, seems it, it like seems an awful. He should have been doing hmm. this. Three months ago, yeah, four months ago. I mean, he's not doing uh, I, like the traditionally candidates send out mailings. You get things in the mailbox. I've been getting them from local politicians and throwing them immediately away because I find them highly annoying. It's just junk mail, right? They yeah. send you this is our policies. This is why my candidates, why we should win. They're bad, and Trump isn't doing any of that. I would just love someday for a candidate. To say, instead of spending 50 to $100 million on this campaign, I'm going to donate it to such and such a cause once I get in the White House. Or I'm going to use it to right. offset some of the... the uh, but no, you have to get to the White House first. I know. Expensive. It's just... Oh, that money could be... It's like a billion dollars to get in there. Yeah, you could use you that c- money elsewhere. But they're buying pizza for their staffers. So there's a <laughs> like a pizza place that's it's making a lot of money. expensive pizza. I always love after the campaign, there's a pizza place that didn't get paid. And so it makes national news. They didn't pay Pizza Hut, and they got like 50 pies they didn't pay for, and everyone's up in arms. Well, so. maybe that's just another business owner that uh, Trump has upset, and and yeah. Speaking of, I read that this was in uh, USA Today. They went and looked through some national uh, databases and found there's at least 75 of 4,000 lawsuits involving Trump and his businesses that remain open. Hmm. The most high profile being the uh, Trump University case that will be heard in San Diego, uh, I believe, in the end of November. 
And uh, it, it, so, I mean, there's, as you're talking about people that are, and there's all kinds of people that worked for his campaign, worked for his businesses. And he says, it's the cost of doing business. You, people, people sue you. That's just what happens. That, that's a sign of success. I'm like, okay, whatever. <laughs> so he went on ABC yesterday and they asked him about what's going on in Syria and they asked about uh, Iraq and Mosul. Mm-hmm. There, there's a, a uh, offensive going on. They're trying to retake that city. And he his his contention is that you should keep these things secret and not talk about them. But they've been talking about we're going into Mosul for the last three months. Let's listen to Trump on cut two. On Sunday, you sent out a tweet saying that the operation was a total disaster. The defense secretary is on the ground. He says they're making progress. He's encouraged by the progress. The former dean of the Army War College says this shows that Trump doesn't know a thing about military strategy. The Army War College, let me tell you, the element of surprise. I've been hearing about Mosul now for three months. We're going to attack. We're going to attack. Meaning Iraq's going to attack, but with us, okay? We're going to attack. Why do they have to talk about it? Element of surprise. One of the reasons they wanted Mosul, they wanted to get the ISIS leaders who they thought were in, in Mosul. Those people who are left, as soon as they heard they're going to be attacked, they left. The resistance the is... says 35 of them have been taken out. Excuse me. The resistance is much greater now because they knew about the attack. Why can't they win first and talk later? Why do they have to say three months before the attack, we're going in? So you can tell your military expert that I'll sit down and I'll teach him a couple of things. Wow. So he's going to teach <laughs> uh, teachers at the U.S. War College how to do their job because he's a military strategist now. Sounds about right. So I, I, yeah, I mean, he, he built hotels. Now he's going to wage war on the other side of the planet. Hmm. What do you think? Well, yeah, I think, uh, I think maybe he could teach him a thing or two. We'll see. I just find the comments interesting. <laughs> Hillary Clinton says she's going to go and consult the experts because she's not a military strategist. I wish that right? you could do that in any argument. You know, instead of addressing somebody's concern, you just say, excuse me, and then just keep talking yeah, about yeah, what yeah. you're talking about. Because excuse yeah. me. Wait, but you guys don't do that? Every other walk of life, you, <laughs> that, that just doesn't work. But that's, that's. Now, I've played Call of Duty. I've played Command & Conquer, which is a kind of a military strategy game. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to tell someone from the War College what to do, but I don't know. I don't, I don't build hotels, so we'll see what happens. Jason Chaffetz, Utah congressman, wrapping up his first term atop the powerful House Oversight Committee, unendorsed Donald Trump weeks ago. Mm-hmm. That freedom up to prepare for something else. Spending years to come, beginning in January, probing the record of a possible President Hillary Clinton. He says her time as the Secretary of State is a, quote, target-rich environment. Hmm. So the eight-hour hearing about her emails and Benghazi and all that stuff that we saw on TV, that could happen just over the next two years constantly, he's saying. Wow. We'll just bring her in, have her answer all these questions constantly because there's things we need answers to. And he's so he says there's a target-rich environment. Um, he says we, even before we get to day one, we've got two years' worth of material already lined up. Interesting. She has four years of history at the State Department, and it ain't good. He used ain't. Wow. And then a tweet Wednesday night, Chaffetz reaffirmed his distaste for for Clinton and his refusal to endorse Trump, but then he said he would vote for the Republican candidate. You know, it was interesting. I heard a a quote from him saying that when he was playing football for BYU, he never heard the sort of locker room talk that Donald Trump was talking about, which I thought was interesting because you would think that locker room talk at – you know, a Mormon school would not be all that interesting or controversial. 
I don't know. I've never been in there. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. Ted Cruz came out yesterday saying that Republicans could seek to block a Democratic president from filling the vacant Supreme Court seat indefinitely. Hmm. As other Republican representatives were saying, hey, the uh, uh, Garrett, uh, what's his name? I had it here. The, that's uh, no, not on the sheet. Oh, President Obama put forth a candidate. The Republicans said absolutely no. Some of them a week before had said, yeah, this guy's great. You know, but then, pres- <laughs> yeah, no, the President Obama endorses. The guy yes. can't, he's not going to be in. Ted Cruz is saying absolutely not. We're going to block everything. We could do it indefinitely. And uh, John McCain a week before uh, said the GOP would be un- would be united in blocking Clinton's appointment. Later, he softened those comments. But you're seeing this. They're already setting up their defenses. If she wins the election, we're going to have the same gridlock, roadblock situation that we've had before. And uh, along with a bunch more hearings, apparently, we can watch on TV as she sits there and kind of answers questions. And they probably don't get to any answers, but a lot of this ends up being just for show. And one final note. Okay. Daylight Savings Time switches on November 6th. Oh, that's right. Which means <gasps> we get an extra hour of this political season. Uh, oh. I thought you were going to see an extra hour of sleep. I'll probably no. use it for sleep. All this political <laughs> stuff. We keep saying there's like, what, 13 days now? There's like 13 days and an extra hour because of daylight savings. Oh. So there you go. You know, I was feeling good about it, and then there's that little negative spin on it. Yeah, just like Garrett said, I, I would probably want to just put that toward sleeping. I always say that I will, and then I never do. I usually just end up staying up an extra hour and wasting it. You got to commit. You got to commit. All right. We're going to change it this year. This year will be the year that I go to bed early and I get that extra hour of sleep. The thing is, I don't think my kids will know that it's daylight savings time. And so somehow I still won't get that extra hour of sleep. Oh, well. I can be a little cranky about it today because, as you know, today is Cranky Coworkers Day. When we come back, we'll be speaking with Associate Professor Selena Sue, who will be talking about participatory budgeting, what that is, and how we can use that to help the youth in the country be more involved in the political process. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you lead healthier, happier lives. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. This is Jeff Simpson filling in for Matt while he's away in uh, beautiful Costa Rica. Well, faith and confidence in the federal government among 18 to 29-year-olds is at a historical low, below 23% and down from 36% in the year 2000. Young Americans, like most Americans, do not trust the government. One possible solution to this is participatory budgeting, where community members help decide how to allocate public funds. Here with us today is Selena Sue, a member of the New York Participatory Budgeting Board. Uh, Selena, thank you so much for being on the Matt Townsend program. Thank you so much for having me. So just right off the bat, I I noticed that in your article um, you first called it participatory budgeting, but then thereafter you uh, referred to it as PB. Should we just refer to it as PB now so uh, to save ourselves some uh, tongue twister mishaps? (laughs) Yes, 
Please. Okay. I think that's a, oh, a good idea. And if any of us come up with a better phrase that's a little bit easier to say, then <laughs> we should definitely put it forward. So just in starting off, what is PB or participatory budgeting? So PB is a process that that started in actually Bridgeville, in 1989, um, after their military dictatorship ended, they were totally recreating their government. And it started in one city where they decided that the elected officials shouldn't be necessarily the ones who made the last decisions on how their city budget was spent. And they decided to let the residents decide um, even really basic um, decisions like which roads should be paved, et cetera. And from there, it's actually spread around the world to over 2,000 cities. And it came to New York five five and a half years ago, and now it's actually being implemented in over 20 cities around the U.S. So I know about the New York City process the most, but there's quite a few cities around the country right now that are trying this. And in this process, your uh, your local city council members, your your aldermen. It depends on on what your city's local government looks like. They give up at least a portion of their budget to neighborhood residents to decide school uh, school budgets, um, transportation budgets, other sorts of budgets to really let elected officials know what residents care about most. That's a great idea. What What are some of the other countries that are participating in this? So I would say that through the 1990s, it first spread throughout Latin America, so Argentina, Peru, some countries around the world actually have taken TB to heart so much so that it's now mandated for all cities. Um, in Europe, it's, it looks a little bit different, but Italy, Germany, it's actually applied in a lot of different countries around the world, but it's also hard to figure out exactly what your version should look like, because clearly it, even the New York version looks different from the version in Vallejo, California. Sure. So certainly the one that we adopted doesn't look like the one in Porto Alegre, Brazil, where it started. Yeah, so as uh, you know, as far as uh, the programs that are happening here in the United States, what uh, what budget is the money for PB taken from? So it, here in New York City, it's taken from the discretionary budgets of local city council members, individual ones by district, and it only comes from capital funds. So I know that that already sounds a little bit technical, but capital funds mean that whatever we're talking about has to officially last five or more years, and it means concrete things that we can see um, and that are physical and there. So it probably means uh, street lights or laptops for schools or new library renovations rather than additional tutors or teachers. And that's that's probably because at least starting out, uh, 
some cities are having a hard time figuring out whether the opposite of the capital money, expense money, so ongoing programming, whether they can really open that up to participatory budgeting and then if it gets funded, really keep in, uh, really be able to promise that it'll keep going. Um, but, but actually in New York, uh, there was so much demand for expense funding as well as capital funding that it's starting it's that some city council members are starting to open up the budget. But usually around the country, so far it's capital money, but the sources are different for different places. In Vallejo, California, there was a new sales tax in that um, city, and the folks in the city said, you know what, we want to decide rather than just letting the the our elected officials decide we want to help them decide what the this new sales tax goes towards in buffalo new york it was a really different process there there were some environmental remediation settlements um and they wanted to say you know we're getting um we have a lot of environmental issues here and if we have this new money we would like to help decide where it goes yeah, and so talk a, a little bit about the process that uh, that these community members go through when they're participating in PB. Sure. So there's a pretty set annual process that basically all PB processes follow. So in the U.S., since we're in the Northern Hemisphere, it starts in the fall. So in September, October, there are usually neighborhood assemblies where anybody can show up and just talk about what their communities need. And with youth, um, the focus of the article that you mentioned earlier, it's really interesting because at first, yeah, they all want skateboarding parks or they all want something that just sounds cool to them. But it's surprising how quickly they get the idea of PB and actually put forth ideas that Folks, even just a few miles away in City Hall who are adults who are focusing on this might not think of. Like, they might, they might say, oh, oh um, this spot on 103rd Street between Lexington and 3rd Avenue in New York City looks, um, it feels really unsafe in the after-school hours. And the folks in City Hall just wouldn't have known that because they're not living there and hanging out there from 2 to 6 p.m. each day. So um, they pitch in ideas in the fall. Then in the winter, a few um, a few hundred budget delegates uh, who are special volunteers who end up um, volunteering to really think through the thousands of ideas that people put forth help to decide which ones end up on the ballot. So they really fully develop a few ideas with the, with help from city um, depart- agencies like the Department of Transportation, schools, etc. In the spring, people vote, and whatever, whatever projects get the most votes get funding until the PD budget runs out. 
That is just such a, a an interesting idea, and it sounds like it's helping people get more involved. So I noticed that also in the article that uh, you conducted some interviews with some of these participants of PB. What what were some of your findings there? Sure. So um, before the interviews, I just want to mention that, um, for instance, uh, maybe in 2015, we conducted around 21,000 surveys of um, which is uh, uh, for uh, some of the folks who participated, and it was really, it was really astounding to see that a lot of the people who are participating in this are not already the civic leaders who participate in everything locally, and they're not necessarily just the PTA leaders and the other folks we would expect. They, um, at least one out of every four people that we surveyed. Um, said that they weren't even eligible to vote in usual elections. So they might be youth or undocumented immigrants or other folks. Interesting. And half, half said that they don't, um, they had never worked with community members or neighbors on a community issue before. So there's something about this that's reaching out to folks who don't usually participate, who are usually turned off by government. Um, and don't trust government, as you talked about earlier. So we then interviewed around 80 folks, both adults and youth, to to try to dig deeper into their PB experiences. And and they talked about how different this was from a from the usual voting or election process, where they didn't where they didn't get to talk to actual People is during the election, typical election process, even if it was a local election, um, they actually got to speak to their needs. Other people would listen sometimes. They don't, sometimes they didn't agree, but people seem to be respectful and have give and take, and they said, oh, your school needs that? I didn't know that. I mean, that's not to say that it was always... always cheerful and that it was never contentious, but how often do we get to talk to people who are different from ourselves about something concrete that our neighborhood needs? Um, Here in New York, yeah, we have neighborhood, 24-hour neighborhood stores where we pick up milk or whatever, and we might be friendly with those folks, but, but, and and they're different from us. Maybe they have different backgrounds than we do, but we don't actually get to talk about what our neighborhood needs. So there's something about about talking about something concrete that isn't abstract, like what does liberty mean? Um, what does freedom of speech mean? But something a little bit more tangible, but bigger than ourselves, that really helps these youth to draw upon their lived experiences, draw upon their knowledge of which places felt safe, which what the good parts of their schools were, what the what the not so good parts of their schools were, and then work with government officials in a new way. Because a lot of these youth don't have really great views of authority because they are they feel like usually it's police officers or other folks just um, just punishing them or or telling them to get out of the park. And this was a concrete way 
uh, where they could actually contribute something. Selena, thank you so much for being on the program. We're, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we'd like to continue the discussion with you. Uh, we are speaking with Associate Professor Selena Sue, who is educating us more about participatory budgeting and how it's helping uh, the youth in our country as well as communities throughout the country by getting them involved in helping restore some of their trust in the government. So we'll take a quick break. When we come back, we'll continue the discussion. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you live more informed lives. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Program. If you are just joining us, we're speaking with Selena K. Sue, who is the Marilyn J. Gittle Chair of Urban Studies at the City University of New York uh, Graduate Center and an Associate Professor of Political Science at Brooklyn College. Selena Sue's research interests uh, uh, lie in participatory, participatory governance, civil society, civic engagement, and the cultural politics of education and health policy. She is the author of the article, What Makes Young People More Excited About Politics? Deciding How to Spend Municipal Budgets, and a member of the New York Participatory Budgeting Board. Uh, she's also... Um, yeah, so <laughs> I think I got every. I think I covered everything. Is there anything I left out there, Selena? No, thank you so much. <laughs> and thank you so much for for being on the program and uh, educating us more on this very interesting topic of participatory budgeting. And uh, the next question I was I was hoping that you could address is um, what? Because obviously you you talked uh, in the first block about how. Uh, Participating in these uh, in particip- participatory budgeting uh, benefits the community and the youth, and I'm curious because it seems like part of the battle would be to just get the youth to participate. So, what do we do to get them to even participate in this? Well, that's a very good question. So, I think that getting them getting them to show up is the very first challenge. Um, so in some situations, they volunteer and they show up, but um, but um, a lot of the times uh, with youth, they actually first show up only when peers or folks that they trust um, in a different way than they trust teachers or principals or social workers first ask them. So we discovered through our research that um, that sometimes they show up just because they have to because um, it was an assignment for school. Or But what really makes them stay is when they see, um, the, they see how their opinions here are taken seriously, how even if one of the ideas they put forth on what their community needs isn't eligible for these specific funds that people are taking their um, their ideas um, seriously about and trying to incorporate them into local policy. And um, figuring out 
what training they need to be able to give the sorts of feedback to local officials um, in order to be taken seriously, that they have to use certain language, that they have to know what basic budgets look like. They have to be able to do research and maybe visit research sites. Um, They have to be able to start to conduct needs assessments um, and be able to evaluate why one project might be better than another. Does it serve more people? Does it serve more low-income folks? If that's what they're concerned with. A lot of targeted outreach and a lot of training, basically, to make sure that um, when they participate, it's really meaningful, that it's not just another another situation where they get told what to do, they get turned off, and then they and then they become even less likely to later on participate in politics. Yeah. So, uh, do you do you mention uh, in your article at all about uh, what the current voting turnout is for youth? Sure. Um, in the New York process, it's around 13% of the overall population um, that participates in PB. Um, and, and it's hard to figure out what, um, how many more should be participating because usually we compare that population to um, who participates in local elections, and they don't. So that 13% is, um, so those uh, thousands of youth who participate in PB are folks who are not participating in any other political process. I do, I think that it might be interesting to tell you, though, that when PB first started in New York, youth were not allowed to participate because some of the city council members and some of the folks on the steering committee that were making up the eligibility rules um, weren't sure that youth would be able to really contribute. They, they, they thought, oh, they're just going to ask for random things that only serve themselves. They can't really think beyond themselves. They're not mature enough. Um, but the youth were allowed to participate in those neighborhood assemblies that I talked about in the fall, and it was watching youth participate and couldn't and really surprise the adults with how um, with how thoughtful they were that the city council members and other folks actually changed their minds, and the voting age has been lowering each year or every couple years since then. So So it's it's not like it was like this from the beginning. Yeah. It almost sounds like maybe they're a little scared that uh, the youth will, uh, if they're given the task of renaming a gymnasium or something, might give it an appropriate name or something. (laughs) Yeah. And, and, you know, at first, maybe not all of them are taking it seriously. So there's there's also something to, to both outreach and just thinking about the training that we all need to make sure that we think beyond ourselves um, and think about what our neighborhood needs. Um, so I've also seen parents and adults say, oh, I came here to ask for these new amenities for my kids' school, but to tell you the truth, my kids' school is already fairly wealthy. We, um, we, and we have a lot of funding. And I did, 
and I didn't know that you senior citizens in public housing and lacking physical mobility needed washers and dryers. Um, I'm actually going to withdraw my proposal hmm. and and help you forward yours. So I've seen adults also show up and change their mind. So we all have we all have knowledge based on our lived experiences every day as to what intersection feels unsafe, um, where we feel like, oh my God, I almost just got into an accident here, um, and, and to just, and where we hadn't had chances before to, to really speak to, um, to collective places where we wanted to see some change. And this is a nice process where we're able to um, to talk to others about it. Yeah. So this idea of participatory budgeting, does this, can this work in other areas that are, you know, not just political, but what about for families or for, you know, a, a, an office? Can this work for, for those other environments as well? So I, the, the thought of a family is a really lovely one uh, in that maybe it, it, it has to be designed in certain ways, but I could imagine putting aside a percentage of a family budget, say, and saying, okay, we get to decide this percentage of the family budget together, what would we like to do with it? And maybe that gives some real power to our kids in, way, in ways that they're not used to, but it, uh, it gives them responsibility and it really gives us a concrete way to, to get the conversation going. And a lot of universities also are starting to consider this because a lot of students um, who feel frustrated by tuition increases uh, have been saying that, you know, we want, we want more than bake sale money. We want to let administrators know a little bit about what we care about. And maybe sometimes um, we don't care about this fancy new building so much as a wider availability of courses that would, let it, uh, that would help us to graduate earlier. Um, and so figuring out Figuring out what the appropriate design is is a challenge, but it is a process that can be applied to lots of different scenarios and scale. I know if we were to present it to my two daughters, they would vote for Disneyland or Knott's Berry Farm, one of those Southern California amusement parks. Well, one of the one of the frustrations and benefits of PB also is that. Um, the people who are involved get to better understand the tough decisions that governments and parents have to make given limited budgets. Right. So, uh, Selena, as we wrap up uh, the interview here, what do you see for these PB boards uh, as far as where are they going in the future? How are they going to expand? And and what's the future of, of these PB boards? I think the future lies in thinking about what meaningful expansion should look like and 
um, what and how to tinker with the design so that it makes sense. So in the New York City process, for instance, it's the current design makes a lot of sense for schools and libraries that are really focused on individual neighborhoods. But then there are a lot of other needs like um, public transportation or sewers that have larger economies of scale where we really need different neighborhoods to be cooperating together to make a difference. And the current design probably needs to be adjusted to help people do that. And then also one of the biggest uh, implications that we've seen is that people will get involved in politics through PB, get frustrated if something is not eligible through PB, and then and then get involved in new ways in politics um, or push for something else. So school bathrooms were such a big deal in New York City's PB process. The first few years, people got mad that they, they were voting and developing proposals for discretionary money for this. We, they said it's a basic need, and they actually got city council to just to vote um, $100 million instead of $50 million in their next budget to school bathrooms so that they wouldn't have to spend energy on that in the PD process. So making sure that when people get frustrated through this process also, that they're, that it's starting to change our relationship with government in general and not just with PD specifically is the next huge challenge for PD boards around the country. Well, Selena, thank you so much uh, for sharing your time with us here on the Matt Townsend Show and also for all the work that you're doing on the uh, New York Participatory uh, Budgeting Board. So we have been speaking with Selena K. Sue, who is the Associate Professor of Political Science at Brooklyn College, and she's been talking to us, educating us about this topic of, of participatory budgeting and how this can restore some of the trust that uh, the youth have in our, our current government. Very interesting topic. And check out her article as well, What Makes Young People More Excited About Politics, Deciding How to Spend Municipal Budgets. We'll take a a very quick break. Uh, This is the Matt Townsend Show, hopefully helping you to live more informed and healthier lives. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, we just had a fantastic interview with Selena Sue about uh, participatory budgeting. And part of the problem is getting people informed. And there was a really funny segment that Jimmy Kimmel did the other night on his program about uh, how people may not be as informed as they need to be. And with the uh, with the price increase in Obamacare... The, the the price increase in the premiums, they decided it would be funny to go out and tell people, try to convince them that these premiums were a good thing and to hear their responses. So this is a clip from that. Good news today about Obamacare. Premiums will be increasing by 25%. That's double digits. Are you psyched? Yeah. Sounds pretty good to me. Yeah. Did you think Obama could pull it off? I think Obama does a pretty good job. I believe in him. Thanks to President Obama, premiums will increase by double digits. Isn't that great? Yes. Yeah, Obama promised to raise the premiums, and he did it. Do you want to thank him, or...? Yeah, definitely. Thank you, Obama. For raising our premiums. For for raising our premiums in Obamacare. 
Do you feel like you finally have the high premiums that you deserve? Yeah, definitely. Or at least my parents do. Yeah. What are they going to do with all of that extra premium money that they're paying? I don't know. Buy stuff? Great. And just for the people at home, could you explain real quick what healthcare premiums are and why it's great that they're increasing? They're just, you know, healthcare stuff that are premium and they're going up because it's better to go higher than to go lower. Do you think this will go down as one of President Obama's greatest contributions to this country, raising those premiums double digits? Yeah, I think he's going to go out with a bang, you know? I think he's doing, I think he's done a lot, but the way he's going out is going to be the best, you know? A gangster. <laughs> double digits are pretty gangster. Yeah. yeah, they are. Would triple digits be even more gangster? More gangster, even the more, the more the better. Quadruple digits? Yes. How high would you like to see premiums go, ideally? Five digits. Are your friends and family excited to be finally spending more premium money? I wouldn't say psyched. It's just a thing. It's like we talk about it. We don't... It's in the air. Um, it's never really, like, a set thing that I feel like all of my friends and me are talking about or something like that, which it probably should be, but it's not. It's almost like you guys don't even, like, understand it at all. Yeah, yeah. Most likely, yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> So, yeah, uh, the word premium uh, doesn't always have a good connotation. (laughs) Good work, Jimmy Kimmel. Well, we're going to take a quick break. Well, we're going to take a six-minute break because we've got the BBC News coming up here next. But we'll we'll, uh, continue the discussion, have some more fun here on the Matt Townsend Show. And uh, when we come back, we'll be speaking with... Stephen Jones, who is the newest cast member of BYU-TV's hit show, Random Acts. And uh, that will be at about 8.20 or so. But let's take a break. And when we come back, we'll have some more fun. This is The Matt Townsend Show. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning and welcome back to The Matt Townsend Show. This is Jeff Simpson here with Terry South filling in for Matt while he's away in Costa Rica. And... Uh, you know, I maybe it's a good thing he's not here because he's I wouldn't call him a cranky coworker. Uh because today is cranky coworker day. It's the perfect opportunity to just let it all out and maybe give yourself a break from the sunshine and coconuts attitude you tend to carry around with you. Sometimes it's worth it just to stop being a nice person for a day and grumble at everyone and everything. Cranky Coworkers Day celebrates that little dose of freedom. <sighs> I don't know. I don't know if I could be cranky even for the three-hour program that we've got here. But that's just me. Um, now, ask me that same question at five in the morning when my daughters wake up, and that's, that's, I'd give you a different answer. But today is also Black Cat Day, and uh, Garrett, we've already asked Terry. He's not suspicious. Are you suspicious of black cats, mirrors, or broken mirrors, walking under a ladder, anything like that? I don't know if I'd call it suspicious, but I don't. I, I would call it practical. I don't walk underneath ladders. You don't know if that thing's coming down or if something's <laughs> coming down on your head. But I, so if you see a black cat. Strolling down the other side of the street, are you just going to be safe and just walk on the other side? Um, 
maybe I'm lean towards the kind of person who likes animals, so I may try to coax it over to me. <laughs> but um, so you take the opposite approach. Interesting. Well, well, yeah, as long as it doesn't cross my path. Hmm. So if it goes behind me, if I can get it to go behind the direction I'm going, then it's totally fine. You know. Lesson of today: Do not cross Garrett. Whether you're a cat or a human, is that what we should glean from this? Um, as if that's the reputation <laughs> that I'm garnering, then uh, then sure. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, Garrett. Uh, we will be talking here in a few minutes about some sort of odd stories, um, such as going to the doctor and having them uh, perform a procedure that maybe they shouldn't have or maybe performing your procedure on somebody else. We'll talk a little bit more about that, as well as wouldn't it be nice, in the words of the Beach Boys, if we could trick our taste buds into thinking that the bland food, the bland healthy food that we have in front of us is actually delicious. So very interesting. We'll talk about that a little more when we come back from our news break here with Sadie Nielsen, who's going to talk to us about what is happening around the country. Sadie? With the battle for Mosul still underway in Iraq, the U.S. and allies are already looking ahead to their next big fight, taking control of Raqqa, Syria, and the Islamic State. Raqqa is the terror, terror group's de facto capital, and there is a sense of urgency to recapture the town, the U.S. commander in Iraq and Syria said. The U.S. is still training local forces whose assistance is needed to take over and hold the city, and also trying to figure out how to get Turkey and Kurdish fighters, known enemies, to work together in the operation. Secretary of Defense Ash Carter said the Raqqa fight will start within the next few weeks, and there are enough resources to fight um, and the Raqqa at the same time. On Wednesday, Defense Secretary Ash Carter announced he has ordered the Pentagon to suspend all efforts to recollect bonus payments given to California National Guard members. Recently, thousands of soldiers who served in Iraq and Afghanistan were informed they would have to repay their reenlistment bonuses, some of which totaled $15,000 because the money had had been given to them in error. Through the recollection of the money, which was requested after audits revealed recruiters improperly offered bonuses, is legal. The process of getting back the cash payments has proved to be messy and sparked widespread criticism, the Associated Press reports. The Chicago Cubs scored their first win in the World Series since 1945, grabbing a 5-1 victory against the Cleveland Indians in Game 2 Wednesday night. The teams are now tied 1-1 in the series. The Cubs haven't won a World Series title since 1908 and what is the longest Major League Baseball drought between championships. Game 3 in Chicago is in Chicago Friday night. And finally, yes. speaking of the Cubs... Um, A man's 1993 high school yearbook photo is going viral for an unusual reason. He predicted a 2016 World Series win for the Chicago Cubs. (gasps) Michael Lee's senior photo from the yearbook at the California's Mission Viejo High School was captioned with an optimistic quote from the former Chicago suburbs resident. It reads, Chicago Cubs, 2000 World Series champions. You heard it here first. A man's 1993 high school yearbook photo... um, he said he uh, he forgot uh, how long ago he had actually quoted that, and it was spotted by one of his classmates, Marcos Mesa. Wow. 
I hope he's right. That would be fantastic. You know, I was super disappointed last year when the Cubs didn't win the World Series because, as you know, in Back to the Future Part 2, there was an announcement that the Cubs won the 2015 World Series. Uh Wow. Do you remember what your high school photo says next to it? Oh, gosh. I don't know if I want to remember. (laughs) (laughs) I think mine said something along the effects of I was uh, going to own stock in Del Taco. There you go. Mine most likely (laughs) said I was going to be a vet. That was uh, until I found out I'm actually really bad at uh, handling blood situations and I pass out really easily. So So it didn't work out. So it didn't work out. But here I am Mm. today. So... Would you you put your money, not that you're putting money, but uh, are you... Are you betting on the Cubs to win the the World Series this year? No. Really? Actually, I just I just really am You don't care. I don't care. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> well, thank you so much Sadie. Great stories and great work there. Uh speaking of of good stories, Terry's found some amazing ones here. How would you like it if you could eat healthy foods but have them taste not like they were healthy, bland foods. Well, a device called the Taste Buddy has just been designed that tricks the tongue into tasting unappetizing healthy food as delicious treats. The prototype for the device has been designed by scientists from City University in London. Placed in the mouth, the Taste Buddy emits thermal and electric signals that stimulate the taste buds. While the early prototype is restricted to imitating sweet or salty tastes, future versions have the potential to completely alter our diets. Professor Adrian Chiak from City University of London, who led the team that created the device, said, Many children hate the taste of vegetables, so I knew that when I became an engineer, I wanted to make a device that could allow children to eat vegetables that taste like chocolate. In its current early form, the Taste Buddy consists of two, uh, two centimeter or 0.8 inch wide gap or tab that sits on the tongue and is wired to a bulky processor. Does Do it, it just pump out sugar? Oh, I you know that's a, that's a good question. I mean, how do you make the the asparagus not taste like it does? And how do you do it without it seems like you'd get some kind of a a shock. It almost seems like sticking your tongue on a battery. So she's it stimulates taste buds. Yes. Right? So her thought is your taste buds aren't experiencing all the flavor and that's the problem. Hmm. It's not that asparagus may taste bad. Which it doesn't. I like it, but I mean, there's people, you say Brussels sprouts or asparagus and it's like torture. Yeah. So somehow she's saying their taste buds aren't experiencing the full experience of the said Brussels sprout. Your taste buds are wrong. I just just worry this is is one of those instances that with great power comes great responsibility. What what don't we know? What is this? Hmm. Is this going to make chocolate... Awful. I'm just afraid that the idea of hooking something up to my tongue to stimulate it is, uh, that sounds scary. Hmm. Did you guys ever used to stick your tongues on batteries when you were younger? No. Or now? I kind of figured out that uh, <laughs> I I did stick straight pins into wall sockets just to see what would happen. That was second grade. Well, I figured out pretty quick. But it, yeah, it turned the out battery all right. was a little safer. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, so one more story here. A surgeon at a Massachusetts hospital mistaken, mistakenly re, uh, removed a healthy kidney from someone who had the same name as the patient with the tumor. It's not a tumor. Uh, state and federal health investigators found that the doctor at St. Vincent Hospital in Worcester failed to confirm the patient's identity before the medical mix-up in July. The doctor did examine a CT scan before surgery, which showed the tumor on the kidney, according to the Boston Globe. However, the scan was from the wrong patient. The mistake was not discovered until after tests were done on the kidney after it was removed, according to the newspaper. The hospital failed to follow proper patient identification protocols by checking birth dates, authorities say, even though the patients had the same name. They were several years apart in age. So mm-hmm. now you know why when you go to the doctor and you have to deal with a half a dozen different people, now you know why they're all asking you the same exact questions. I, don't, I didn't think I knew that before, but now I know. So that the next time there's another Jeff Simpson in there who's 90 years old, they won't, uh, <laughs> they won't mix us up. Well, they also usually mark the side of the body. You know what I mean? Like yeah. so if right and left, they they put an X on that side of the body. They do a bunch of things to make sure. Like uh, what was it? They were they were going to amputate someone's leg, so you put an X on this leg, and then they took the other one. Or you know, just mix ups happen like this. Mm-hmm. And you know, I mean, human error and everything. But someone's going to get a nice little yeah. Settlement yeah. From I was going to say that's what we have lawsuits for. It's uh, disappointing. I would like to use that kidney for later. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I was hoping to. Yeah, Terry. What else is going on? Um, how far would you go for a friend? What, how, what's the limit of what you would do for a friend? Uh, $9.87. There you go. <laughs> do you have a limit, do you think? Is there a distance you wouldn't drive for a friend? No, I, I no. but I if, if anything illegal came into the picture, I don't Not know illegal, if I would. Just they call up and say, hey, I need this. I happen to be in Oregon. Can you come get me? I think my wife would be on board if I could take my daughters with me. So it says, <laughs> uh, this way, the best way to test a friendship is to ask your friend to drive 50 miles to bring you a banana. Hmm. That's Does the what, person have diabetes or something? No, nah, just he was hungry. Uh, 21-year-old Martin uh, Pareto, who has been uh, friends with 20-year-old Justin Mendoza for over a decade, just did just this. He says he was studying at a cafe. Pareto texted Mendoza to ask if he could bring him a study snack. A Scooby snack? And it was like, anything? He he goes, bring me some wings, I don't know, a banana, whatever. And he's like, all right. So Mendoza briefly protested his, you know, 50 miles for something trivial. Sure. But he did end up getting in the car and bringing Martin a banana from 50 miles away. Wow. We know this because he, of course, documented it on social media because that's where all this stuff goes. Was it was it chocolate covered? Did it have some nuts sprinkled no, just, on it? Just a banana. Just a banana. Oh my goodness! Just grabbed a banana. And drove Did 50 he miles. complain the whole way? Because that would be the mark of a true friendship. I like, don't know. I'm doing this, but I don't have to like it. You owe me. <laughs> Says this may seem like a lot of miles, perhaps too many uh, for the banana, but it seems like it, it is. But uh, according to the report that's also the distance they usually travel to see each other because they live in different cities that's you know you bring up a good biblical point you know if the friend uh, does it begrudgingly then it's almost as if he withheld the banana but apparently he gave him the <laughs> banana and then they went and got wings anyways so they went out to dinner afterwards but it's like you know your friend texts you and says hey i need a banana bring it here i'm guessing uh they're not married no nope. they don't have kids no yeah. they're free to roam that changes the game that does yeah, uh, but again, apparently. I think I think if uh, I told my wife I was taking the girls, she would be all for that. 
Have you ever had venison before? No, yes. I want to. What about venison from Arby's? What? Ooh, that makes me want it even less. Really? <laughs> Arby's has announced it will be offering venison sandwiches this fall in six states where deer hunting is popular. The sandwich will include a thick-cut version of venison steak and crispy onions on a roll. See, this is another example of don't branch out until you perfect the menu that you already have. That just brings up a whole bunch of domestication problems for me. The marketing <laughs> officer from Arby's says that the meal is incredibly delicious. Well, if the marketing director from Arby's oh, well. says that it's incredibly <laughs> delicious, then oh, yeah. I'm convinced. It'll be available, let's see here, it'll be available in a few days in select restaurants from Halloween through the end of November in Wisconsin, Minnesota, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, and Georgia. So you may have to drive. Is it over 50 miles? Probably. <laughs> Do I have to bring a friend? <laughs> Maybe. But, uh, yeah, venison sandwiches from Arby's. If they uh, maybe if they start serving bananas there, then that might be worth the drive. So is that what what they're saying is uh, you won't leave the hunt empty-handed after stopping at Arby's? Clever. Uh. You, go, you go on the hunt, you come back without a deer. At least you can stop by Arby's, and but then it's like be reminded you, of your failure. Where'd you get your deer from? You don't have to. You don't have to kill it. You don't have to we skin it and gut it. And yep. Yeah. Wow. No, yeah. No, they'll probably ask you what sauce you want. I don't know what goes with venison. Is it barbecue sauce? Is it the the horseradish? What is it? Oh, it's got to be the horseradish. Is it? Yeah. All right. They need to come up Except with like a venison the deer radish. radish. Maybe deer they radish. come up. Yeah, it'd have to be deer. Horseradish wouldn't work, would it? Yeah. That's pretty good. Thanks. Well, <laughs> we apologize if you're an Arby's fan out there. Um, we just uh, maybe this is just a little cranky moment for us. But, uh, yeah, go check it out if you're in any of those areas uh, because, as according to Arby's, it is extremely or incredibly delicious. So these are the types of stories and, and salivating stories that, we, that you'll only get on the Matt Townsend Show. And speaking of salivating, uh, this is a horrible segue. <laughs> but uh, coming up next, we'll be speaking with comedian, uh, teacher of religion, and uh, motivational speaker Stephen Jones, who is the newest cast member on BYU TV's hit TV show, Random Acts. And we've got him here next on The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. This is uh, Jeff Simpson filling in for Matt while he's away. We have a very, very special guest here in the studio this morning. Uh, He's a stand-up comedian. He's an entertainer for corporate events and all sorts of other events. He's also a teacher of religion, and he is the newest cast member of BYU TV's hit show, Random Acts. We'd like to welcome into the studio this morning, Mr. Stephen Jones. Welcome. Okay. Your voice, man. I'm going to have to tell you, your voice, you have a very beautiful radio voice. Well, that that is the nicest thing I've heard today. <laughs> Thank you. No, you do. I love it. Just, Ladies and gentlemen, we're coming right in today. I love it. I love it. You see, this is why I invited him on the show, because I need this uh, this affirmation. So thank you for that. So uh, we talk about random acts. You're on mm-hmm. this new show, BYU TV show. 
For our listeners who may not have seen the show or aren't as familiar with the show, what would you tell them about this show and how did you get involved? Yeah, well, I mean, the show is a really, I mean, imagine but most most uh, shows that are any kind of like prank or reality TV, they'll kind of focus on, you know, getting people's reactions based on something, you know, really crazy out of the ordinary. But we like to say that Random Max is kind of like the heart it's like the heart of the hidden camera. And so the show is really based on this idea of it being a hidden camera um, and just real life stories. So there's there's two main elements, um, one being, you know, almost like a prank, but not necessarily a prank always, where we'll have a hidden camera somewhere and, uh, you know, we'll catch people doing good things or we'll catch just positive things that are happening. And it really shows uh, mm. a lot of them. You'll see if you, if you, uh, you can watch them on BYU TV on online. Um, you'll, you'll be surprised how happy people become when they get involved in these different scenarios or situations when we're kind of, uh, I don't want to say we're fabricating it, but yeah, we are. We're making it up and like catching these people just being real good people and catching people being nice and kind and uh, I'm trying to give you an example of one that happened from last season. Uh, there was one where Will, Will's another host, he would just pick people. So it wasn't, he would have, they had a hidden camera and they had an Uber and uh, he would pick up people in like a, in a nice, like a really nice sports car. They thought they were going to get like a, like a Corolla or something like that. And just to see, you know, we would do things on purpose to people that were kind and then you would just catch their reactions. They would almost be like flabbergasted, like, what in the world? Like, really? You would do something that nice? Yeah. Or we'd pay for people's – We'd uh, they, they have another one where they uh, they were at a market in San Francisco and they would pay for people's meals. Or no, they would pay for people's um, – at the market, they'd pay for their food that they would be buying. And they'd be like, wow, you would do that, you know? But, I mean, but it's all it's all ad-lib. It's all ad-lib. It's all things like that. And then there's also other st- other stories that are that are real-life stories where people would almost like uh, suggest and submit and it's in real time. So it's really cool where it's like, it's, it's a real time thing that's happening and you kind of have to like change it up in the meantime and like figure out how we're going to make it work. There's no like, okay, let's try that again. It's just from the start to finish and uh, you know, trying to make uh, these really cool stories uh, to people who deserve it. Right. You know, man, that must be so rewarding to just, Go to work, and your job is to just do nice things for other people. Oh, how for amazing sure. is that? It's, it's really, it's it's cool to see people's natural reaction to kindness, and it makes you say, "Well, why don't I just do this all the time?" You right. know what I mean? Yeah. So, I I know you as a very very kind person. So, Bless what your heart. what is it that made you want to be involved with this show? Just that you. Would have the opportunity to help people out. Well, the thing is, man, my whole thing right now, I'm on this big kick and I'll be on it for the rest of my life. My thing is I only want to do things that will matter in a thousand years. Hmm. And so for me, when I when I judge any kind of project that I'm doing, obviously, I need to provide for my family. But, uh, you know, I teach and I, you know, I came from a career where I was doing sales. I was doing corporate sales forever. And I just kind of had this big epiphany in my mind. I'm like, you know what? It just, I'm like, if, if I do any, any project I do, anything that I'm doing, I want to do stuff that'll matter in a thousand years. And I think that this idea, this project is a very, I don't know, it's just really heartfelt. It's something that I believe will make, will make an impact on people. And so, you know, I just want to be a part of something like that. Yeah. You know? 
that's just a great way to live your life. You know, if we could all just wake up every day and say to ourselves, I'm going to make today count just as much as yesterday counted, and I'm going to do whatever I can to make life just that much better for the people that I come in contact with. There's so, and there's so many things in life that you can do. And it's not like I only, you know, I'm trying to go and decide, like, what shoes should I wear this today? Well, which <laughs> shoes are going to matter? No, it's not what I'm trying to say. It's that, you know, impactful things. And obviously service is one of those things that I think that we kind of forget about. And it's it's something that um, you can make it a habit, obviously. But I think that um, that message, that message overall is what I think is important. And that's why I wanted to be a part of it. Obviously, it'd be great to be on the receiving end of service mm-hmm. in your everyday life. How amazing mm-hmm. would that be? But how important is it for us to give service to other people? How important is that for our lives? How does that improve our lives? Oh, man. I mean, I can't even tell you. Like, there's times where um, I, I think that there's times where I've had, like, bad days. And just naturally with things that I do with volunteer work with with church, like, it'll be a day where I'm like, you know, man, I just don't even know what in the world. So, you know, how everybody, you got to have every once in a while one of those days. And I'll go out and one of the things that we'll do is we'll just we'll be visiting people in their homes and, and things like that. And it's and it really it literally it makes you happy. I don't know how it works. I don't know if it's just some way your brain and the chemical it makes chemical reactions in your brain or whatever it is that releases more serotonin or something. I don't know, but it does. I don't know what it is, but it really does. Try it. You know what I mean? It really, if like to give somebody something, and especially if it's received or not, it just it makes you feel good. It really does. I really believe that. So maybe it kind of helps you, maybe not forget about your problems because obviously, if you're having problems, they're still going to be there when you get back from doing something nice for somebody else. But maybe it gives you a little bit more perspective on life. I think it does. It depends on what you're doing. Obviously, if, like there's many times where you'll visit people, you'll visit someone who might be worse often you and you kind of have that perspective. But I think maybe too, it, it's kind of something that um, it gives you maybe, I don't know. I think that when you're not thinking about yourself, I think that thinking about other people, there's something about that, that causes the increases happiness. I don't know what it is, but when you're selfish, I don't know. It's just a, it's just a negative place to be because you're kind of, it is almost like it's more work. Yeah. And I think that, you know, I've heard of things like mindfulness but it's like you can almost kind of be in your own place when you're not uh, when you're not thinking about you. It's yeah. less it's less work actually, and so I think that the the work of I'm trying to I'm making this so much more technical, but I think that maybe that's what it is that uh, it's more carefree, and I think that maybe that makes you happy more more happy something you know, like that. Something that I think is interesting in the media, especially we we go to movies like uh, A Christmas Carol or Rocky. Movies, especially like A Christmas Carol, um, that, you know, the main character in the movie is this miser who is not charitable in any way, doesn't Mm. care, uh, you know, anything for other people. And yet we're rooting for him because (laughs) I think deep down we all kind of feel like at times – we could be a better person. If only we could be a better person, life would just be amazing. And I think that's why we gravitate towards movies like that, because that's who we want to be. We want to be somebody that's been redeemed, somebody that has a second chance on life. Well, think about even like uh, like the hierarchy of needs, right? The self-actualization. And I'm not trying to get too deep on it, but, (laughs) but really think about it. Like it is very fulfilling. Like how many self-help books are so like, 
They're so popular because I think naturally as human beings, we want to be better. Whatever philosophy you believe in, like you want to be a better person, right? You want to improve who you are. And I think that a, a philosophy that most people would agree with is that helping other people is just a human thing to do. I think mm-hmm, that service mm-hmm. is just, you know, a way that you can improve yourself is to think outside of yourself. And so, dang, this is getting kind of deep, but you know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, it really is true. Yeah. I th- we naturally want to do that. And service is one way that we do. So there's one more question I want to ask you before we take a break here. Um, you've talked a little bit about how you feel uh, when you go out and help other people, and you've had experience with that on the show. If you could talk about one experience that you've had where an act of service has had an impact on your life, where somebody has performed that act of service for you, what would that be? Well, the first thing that comes to my mind is uh, when I was 18 years old, I graduated high school and I was preparing to serve a mission. And so, you know, when you prepare to serve an LDS mission, um, you know, it costs money. And so a lot of times, uh, you know, you go overseas in in many cases and uh, you basically you pay for it. I mean, this is another example, I guess, of, of something to, you know, when you're you're uh, paying to serve. But I mean, I don't know what it is, but you do. Anyway, I was uh, trying to save money and um, different situations that I had in my current with my family. Uh, my mom um, was going through a divorce and some of the money that I had saved up, I actually um, I actually put towards um, just helping pay bills to keeping the lights on. And so when it came to the time where I needed to go. Um, I didn't have all of the money that I needed to have. Mm-hmm. And so uh, there was a family that kind of, uh, it was almost like a win-win situation where I would come in and I'd move into their home. Um, and there was, uh, her name is uh, Judy Fields and it was Sam Fields. And so he uh, was having some health problems. He was a couple of years older than she was, and but she traveled still. And so it was like, they gave me this opportunity to make money to work for them, I basically took him to all of his different, um, you know, I took him to, uh, you know, I took him to uh, any kind of hospital. I'm not hospital, but medical appointments and all yeah. that. And then I lived with them, but it was almost like I was serving them, but they were paying me. Right. But she kind of, she gave me this opportunity it was such a, a, a way for her to serve, to serve me. But in, in a way it made me grow so much because I had opportunities to grow here. I'm this 18 year old kid just turned 19 soon after. And I'm living with this, uh, this family, a 70 ish year old man and a 60 year old woman. And it really made me grow up, but it was just the love that they shared to like, to just, you know, they didn't have to do that. They didn't have to come in and say, Hey, well they heard of the situation and was like, Hey, well, why doesn't he help us? You know, why doesn't he come on and, and live with us? It wasn't just like, Hey, he can just come over whenever, but I lived with them, which helped me financially. But then also they paid me to, to do that work. And it's something that I will, I, it is a, it is a, it was a foundational experience for the rest of my life. Wow. That's so awesome. Uh, and you know, benefits and blessings on both ends of that story. Thank you for sharing that. We're going to take a quick break here. We're talking with Stephen Jones. The newest cast member of BYU TV's hit show, Random Acts. He's also a teacher of religion and a stand-up comedian. Funny guy, all-around great guy, and uh, we look forward to picking up the conversation with him here in a minute. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show.
at your grades. Now look at mine. Now back at your grades. Now back to mine. Sadly, they're not like mine. But if you stopped studying in a cave and started studying like me, they could be like mine. Look at your shirt. Now back at mine. Look down. Back up. Where are you? You're in the library with the man your grades could be like. Did you know that eight out of five dentists say that studying in the library is six bajillion times more effective than studying in your shower? <laughs> Close your eyes. Now open your eyes. Where are you? You're in a beautifully quiet place where you can study. Look at your hand. Now back to me. I have it. It's a laptop with access to bucket loads of library databases. Look again. The laptop is now a celestial sandwich here in the snack zone. Anything is possible when you're in the library. I'm on a cart. Yeah. Wow, that, of course, is the BYU Old Spice commercial. I remember the first time that I met you, I looked over to my wife and I was like, I'm pretty sure that's the BYU Old Spice guy. And she was like, no, no, that can't be him. And like, why? Because it's been so long, man. It's been so long. Do you still have people coming up to you saying, hey, you're the BYU Old Spice guy? Well, sometimes people say, hey, are you the Old Spice guy? And I'm like, <laughs> I wish... Because I would have a lot more money. If you're just rejoining us, I'm speaking here with Stephen Jones, a comedian, teacher of religion, and newest cast member of BYU TV's Random Acts. And that was the – if you haven't seen it yet, go Google BYU Old Spice commercial. It's hilarious, and you'll just love it. Now, during the break, you mentioned something that I thought was interesting, how you know people know that you do comedy they know you and so when you do shows like this they expect you to be funny the whole time yeah do you i mean do you get that everywhere you go with, with the knowledge that people have of you do they and knowing that you enjoy doing comedy you know i assume you enjoy doing comedy but do they just expect you to be on all the time well, like they can just you can flip it on like a light switch well the thing is i mean it's it's to me i feel like i'm a very extroverted person um, but I think that surprisingly, because I'm extroverted, if I'm not around or if I'm not in a situation where it really causes, I mean, come on now. I mean, I, I, I can be a professional person. You know what I mean? Like I can, sure. I don't always have to be like, Hey everybody, hey, everybody, how you doing? You know what I mean? I can, I like get my house. I'm calm, you know, unless my kid does something crazy and I'm like, Hey, you know what I mean? I'll like, I'll, uh, I'll get to it. But I mean, I'm pretty easy going. Like I'm not crazy all the time. I mean, that would be very hard. To maintain, you'd probably you know, need about twelve hours of sleep. I need about, or I maybe need about, some caffeine, and maybe something, <laughs> right? But I mean, I, I it's funny because what you even said, a lot of times, if somebody has heard of or, or seen something, it's almost like they've had this experience with me before they they know me, and so you kind of like you just hope that they're not like, well, what's he, you know? Oh, I saw him. He's He's like, I'm like, man, I'm just like you, man. I'm a real person like anybody else. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it's, some people do taxes and I entertain and, you know what I mean? And what I do it ends up, you know, being on things that people see. But to me, I look at it like I just, yeah, you know, I'm just, you know, I, it, to me, it's as if, I mean, I actually hate math. I'm, I am so thankful for people who do taxes. <laughs> you know what I mean? And matter of fact, my wife, your yeah. wife does taxes. So, mm -hmm. you know, so yeah. So, yeah, I think that's interesting because. I kind of get I kind of feel like some people want to live in this fantasy world where the characters that they see on television are exactly that way in real life. But I think <laughs> yeah. in reality 
they would be happier not having met those people. You know, like if, say, you ran into Jennifer Aniston and she wasn't just like Rachel on Friends, exactly. you know? You'd, you'd almost be a little disappointed. I'm not saying people are disappointed when they meet you, but uh, just to give you an example, I took my daughter to go see actually a children's production of Alice in Wonderland, and she's in love with Alice in Wonderland. Loved the show, loved the characters. After the show, all the cast members lined up to take pictures, shake hands, mm-hmm. do autographs, that sort of thing. She was terrified, did not want to say a word to really? them and wanted begged us to get back in the car. Really? Yeah. So huh. I think I think some people want I think they want uh, the separation. Cer- they want the separation. They want certain aspects of their lives to exist almost in a different universe. Oh, well, well tell know? me that. So I teach. So I teach. And it's the same thing for a teacher. Like how many times have you seen a teacher at the grocery store and you're like, "Oh, Mr. So and so, oh he he eats Fruit Loops. Oh my gosh, he you, eats Fruit Loops. Like what? You eat? What <laughs> you eat? Oh my gosh. Oh, he gets gas. You know what I mean? Like or, the worst is if you like run into him in the bathroom. Now that's just like there's like oh my gosh. Oh, that's this the is, worst. It's just it's just you. Know, what do you talk about? You know because you're always you know what it is. It's because of the it's it's the location that's consistent. Like a teacher, you see him in a classroom. All every time you see a teacher, mm-hmm. it's in the classroom. When you see an actor. You always see him on the screen. Mm-hmm. And so when you don't see him in that element, it's kind of like, whoa, hey, what's yeah. going to be like? And so, yeah, you kind of have to break that barrier sometimes. Yep. <laughs> hey, speaking of your teaching, this is one thing I, that I wanted to get into. Uh, obviously, you have a lot of experience doing stand-up comedy oh, yeah. and corporate events. So how do you feel like your comedy helps you as a teacher? You know, a lot of, especially with high school, you got, um, you know, you get, you don't want to entertain because I, you can use it as a tool to gauge, to get them back. For example, I don't, when I teach, I don't try to, I don't want it to be about me. I want them to actually learn, but um, you're in a class for a hundred and well, you're in class for like 80 minutes, right? Or 90 minutes. And so just the attention span of a, of a, of a, of a high school student can be very short, right? And so mm-hmm. a lot of times I'll use it to just, you know what I mean? Like just to get get the energy back into the room, you know what I mean? And obviously, you know, I don't I don't try to keep it, you know, too focused at all on me, but I use it. I use it as a tool to get them to reel them back in for sure. Sure. Without it, it anything, anything in life, you can't it, too much of anything is too much of anything you can lose the impact and power of it if it's always the same. And that's, that same, that's the same thing with funny, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's what makes you such an asset for this TV show on BYU TV. And I'm sure it would help you a lot as a teacher as well because you've got these kids who are coming to class with all sorts of problems that yeah. maybe you didn't even have when you were their yeah. age, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel, uh, you know, you, there's the old adage that uh, – Laughter is the best medicine. Do you believe that? I think that people appreciate the ability to uh, to see things. I think that like what makes people laugh is the fact that it's like you know a lot of times you'll laugh and be like that's so true or like you say things that people really want to say but they don't say and you're like man it's kind of you know that's true you know <laughs> and so it definitely is. I think that it allows people to feel more comfortable. I believe you know what I mean. Yeah, it takes it takes. Yeah, I think I don't even know how to how to explain it, but it definitely makes it it creates an atmosphere or an environment that's a little bit more safe. 
Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And Absolutely. less vulnerable, you know? So what are some things that make you laugh? What do you find uh, funny or who do you find funny? Well, you know, I think I like uh, what makes me laugh. You know, what's funny. It's funny. Like the whole world of comedy, you'll see a whole group of, of comedians and like, I think it's probably the hardest person to try to entertain sometimes, but I, I don't, and I'm not even saying this in a pretentious way, but I'm pretty much, I don't feel like I'm like that. Like, I feel like I'm like a really normal person. Like, it's not that hard to make me laugh. Like, <laughs> I like a lot of physical comedy. Mm-hmm. I like physical comedy for sure. I like uh, comedy um, that'll make you think a little bit sometimes. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of specific people. I mean, you know. You know your 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 classic people that I think are funny. I think uh, Bill Cosby obviously is funny. I know that there's been some some things out there in the news lately about him, but I mean he's still funny. You know you can't deny that the man changed the uh, the comedy world. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, Eddie Murphy's funny. I think Kevin Hart is very funny. Mm-hmm. Um, I like his style. I feel like my style of comedy is a little bit more like his. Um, I like to tell stories. And so I'm not really like your sit up and knock down real right away. I like to have stories within stories. And so I, I appreciate his style. Um, so so not as many punchlines. Well, he's kind of got punchlines within the story. You know okay. what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and I think that I love how he uses his personality and he engages people really well. Um, what else? What else makes me laugh? I'm trying to think. How sweet would that be, by the way, to pull in the kind of crowds that he does? He's making yeah, mucho. Yeah. There's a dollars. lot of funny people, man. There's a. I appreciate, you know, uh, Jim Gaffigan. I like. Obviously, oh, these favorite. other comedians are very. Um, like they're clean. Jim Gaffigan's clean. Um, and wow. Uh, oh. Golly, Brian Regan. Brian Regan, mm-hmm. love Brian Regan. He's he's funny with just the faces that he makes. You know what I mean? Like he can just take, like he'll just delivery to me is what I think makes the biggest difference because yeah. you can take somebody that will tell just even telling a story. Somebody will like you can just read it on the on the paper. You know, Brian Regan could read the back of a. He could read the back of like the ingredients on the back of like some chocolate chip cookies and it'd be funny. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I think that that's it's a it's a it's a gift, man. I think it's an art form to be able to take information and put it out there in a way that's relatable that will make you laugh. Yeah. So yeah. No, I think I think that's something that's really important too is is keeping it clean. I think it makes it more difficult for comedians as well to stretch themselves and try to not go for the easy laugh and then also try to work on facial expressions and try to nail down their delivery. That's, that's a tough job. Well, well, think about what comedy is. Like A lot of times you'll hear somebody doing jokes and it's kind of like, and it's not always the case, but it's something that you've thought of, but they communicate it in a way, whether that be something that's more cerebral, something that's more physical, or, but it's almost like they take you to this place that you've been before, but they they like kind of dress it up a little bit differently that makes you think about it differently. You know what I mean? And then mm-hmm. it kind of it makes you laugh, or it engages you, or it, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so, by the way, don't judge me. Like all these, you know, some of these comedians I said aren't like you know perfectly, <laughs> but but the art form of what they do is what I appreciate. And I feel like you know, I don't obviously sit there and and you can you can hear clean versions of all of them. I yeah. Mean, you can you can get uh, Eddie Murphy actually. I think that he kind of changed when he started having kids too. Like he's like, you know what? I want stuff that my kids can watch. Sure. You know? And so, so yeah. same with Jim Gaffigan too, because obviously sure. a lot of For his sure. comedy has gravitated uh, towards his kids, and you know he hasn't always been squeaky clean as as he is now. So, or as <laughs> as it seems. <laughs> well, it's easy. It's easy 
to do like a, a crass joke. And it's almost like that shock factor. But I think that it takes a little bit more thought um, to, but you know what though? I don't understand because if you think, if you think about this, like financially, right? If you can make the more people that can watch it, wouldn't you say the more money you could make? Like if you're trying to do this as a business, right? Yeah. And you're trying to put it out there in the world. You know, I just, I just think that really this idea of, of the craft stuff, it really was a very, it was very much a fad. I think it was a, it was a fad of like, I don't know the nineties, but I think that nowadays, if you want to make more money, you, if you know, you, the more people you can make laugh, the more people that can buy your stuff, you know, yeah. the more people you can, uh, that can relate to it, uh, the, the more successful you'll be. Well, Mr. Stephen Jones, I want you to know that you make me laugh. Very funny guy, very Bless kind you. gentleman. And uh, before we let you go here, I just wanted to give you an opportunity to give a plug for your show and your website, anything that can help yeah. us as listeners find you and listen to some of this great content that you put out. Yeah, so Random Acts, wonderful show. The show this season is not going to come out. It's not going to air till April. We're putting them all together right now. Um, I recommend it. There's even ones that are from last season. You can check those out on BYU TV um, um, online. Also, anything for me, it's, it's Mr. Stephen Jones with a PH, um, Twitter, uh, Facebook, Instagram, all the same. Um, you can find those there. Awesome. Stephen, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for coming on the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, Pleasure. We will take a break and we'll come right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show, where we try to help you live healthier, happier, and hopefully funnier lives. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. That uh, music is kind of creeping me out. Uh, Halloween music. You know, as you know, Halloween is officially four days from now. Can you believe that? And that means trick-or-treating. However, as adults, we need to be prepared to ensure that everyone has a happy, fun, and safe Halloween night. Our very own Caitlin Thomas has come up with a handy-dandy list of do's and don'ts for us to follow this Halloween that she knows will increase your happiness and the satisfaction of your own little trick-or-treater. Caitlin, thank you so much for being on the program again. Good morning. So, you don't have any kids, right? No. No. No, but I, I feel like it wasn't that long ago that I was a trick-or-treater myself. I mean, it probably was La- a long last time year? ago. But last, last year. year. <laughs> right. See? I mean, I'm only 23. I can still trick-or-treat. Sure. <laughs> No, but I just, this year, with everything that's been going on, you know, with the clown scares and all these different things, I just think it's important that we talk about the do's and don'ts of trick-or-treating. Absolutely. I now people I, have forgotten. I do have two children, so I want to hear about this. I've got a two-year-old okay. and a four-year-old. Well, here's a big don't. Here's my first big don't. This okay. is for all moms or young girls who are trick-or-treating. You know, don't wear heels. Just don't do it. It's dumb, and it ruins your whole experience because then you get, you're like, yeah, I look so cute, and then halfway through you want to go home because your feet hurt. But it's not about you, moms. It's about the kids. It's about the kids. Put on some sneakers. <laughs> It'll be okay. But you do. Here's what you do. Hit up the neighborhoods with the big houses. Yeah. Trust me. It'll make your kids happy. They'll have a better experience. They'll get better candy. 
So we're talking regular-sized candy bars, maybe. Right. Hopefully. Okay. That's, what, that's what the bigger houses normally do. But also, you know, hit up the houses in your neighborhood. There's a lot of people, you know, that want to see your kids in costume. So. I would think that maybe some of the bigger homes <laughs> would be in safer neighborhoods, too. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Here's a don't. Do not reach in. Don't let your kids reach in and grab, like, armfuls of candy. Mm. Like, it's just rude. Sometimes you just can't stop them, though. Uh, you, you you know, no matter have, how many times you, you tell them. you got portion control because then you're just – all the other kids behind you aren't going to have – like, just go to more houses. Don't take giant handfuls. Just go to more houses. So maybe homeowners should just uh, – <laughs> Hand it out themselves. Hand it out themselves. Yeah. That, don't leave – yeah, don't be that person that leaves it on the front porch and it's just like, good luck. That's not fun. The whole point is to be able to ring the doorbell and say trick-or-treat. What about those people that put a bowl of candy in what you think is a dummy's lap? But it turns out there's actually ah, somebody there with – yeah. <laughs> I used to hate those as a kid. So do do stop at the houses whose porches are well lit. So meaning if you want trick-or-treaters, turn on your lights. OK. Good. Um, good good tip. And don't ring the doorbell a million times. If someone doesn't want to answer, they obviously don't want to give you candy. So if you don't want trick-or-treaters, turn off your porch light. I mean it's a, it's a buzzkill, but if you really don't want them or you're out of candy – Turn off the porch light. Then they won't bother you all night. Were you ever one to uh, take matters into your own hands when you came to the house that didn't participate in Halloween? What do you mean? I think you know what I mean. Like with eggs or TP. Oh, no. Oh, that's don't good. do that. That's just rude. Okay, so that's another don't. That's don't another TP don't. and don't, don't egg the house. Don't slash their tires either. Don't do Whoa. that. Whoa, that's, that's but pretty As parents, you do need to teach your children the magic phrase trick or treat. Because I've had kids that knock on my door, ring the doorbell, and they just stick their bag out. They don't say anything. <laughs> but also remind them the magic words are please and thank you. So it's say, polite, and you'll probably get more candy out of being polite. Really? Just saying. If you say mm. trick or treat, please, or and then thank you, like I guarantee you, you'll get more candy. You probably shouldn't say smell my feet. No. <laughs> right. Mm, that was my dad's favorite one. <laughs> Not if they've been walking all night. No. Don't. That's a great point. Yeah. yeah. Don't and don't be that person who walks around trying to scare the little kids. <clears throat> like it's not funny. Just let them enjoy Halloween and get their candy. If you really want to scare people that badly, just go work in a haunted house. Like then you'll get paid for it at least. If you get your kicks out of scaring little kids, there might be something wrong with yeah, you. Just don't go home. Like don't be that person. Hmm. Go to your if you're a teenager, then go to your teenage party if you don't want trick or treat. Believe the little kids alone. I just think that's rude. <sighs> but here's a big do. Ooh. Parents of who have recently had a kid. This is my favorite one. I've come up with this rule myself. If you've recently had a child and you can take that child out, dress up your t- your tiny baby and go trick-or-treating and get the candy yourself. You deserve it. Yes. You deserve it. Because, you know, maybe if you're a brand new mom, maybe you still have some of those cravings that yeah. you were having while you were Go, carrying that You child. deserve a bag of candy. Hmm. Go tr- dress up your baby in a cute little pumpkin suit or as a mummy and take it around and show all the people in the neighborhood your cute baby. And I guarantee you, you they will give you candy. See, I mean, you taking it. the whole thing's a joke anyway, because even if you're taking your two-year-old or your four-year-old, like I will be, a lot of the candy, a lot of the good candy is going to end up in the parents' stomachs anyway. Yeah. Or am I – is that not a good you thing have, to do? You have that right. Okay. It was a you community do. bowl in our family. We put all the candy in the bowl. Really? And then my mom would put it up on the refrigerator so that we didn't eat too much that night. Oh, wow. And then it would disappear. <sighs> that's – well, that's one way to do it. 
<laughs> my mom didn't want to deal with the arguing that would ensue if she did that. So, you know, one of my dues. What? Take your pillowcase. Yes, that's one of my things. <gasps> have a big do. Have a big enough bag. Like, don't buy your kids a dinky little plastic bucket that's not very deep and not very wide. And then, like, five houses in, they're full. <laughs> like, that's so disappointing as a child. Let what them kind have of houses are moment. you going to? Man, it took me With like pillowcase to get the the plastic bucket filled. <gasps> we need the pillowcase. It's a pillowcase. So that um, it's so full by the time you're finished, so it can double as a weapon in case you run into right. some creepy clowns. Here's my other. See, that was my next. Don't, don't, don't wear a clown mask. Whether you're at a house giving candy or you're trick or treating, just don't. So this is not the year. This is not no, a good year it's for not. clowns. Especially if you're the scary ones. Cop, people are going to get scared. They're going to call the cops, and you're going to ruin the whole mood for that neighborhood. Just, oh. it's not funny. <laughs> like I don't. I think it's very. Funny. It's not funny this year. Like this uh, year specifically, it's not funny. Don't ruin it. Enjoy trick or treating. Don't ruin the experience. <sighs> any any other do's or don'ts that we should get to before we head to break? Don't smash people's pumpkins. No smashing pumpkins. I hate that. What about the 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 band? Can we, sure. can we listen, can to, smashing listen to smashing pumpkins? Okay. But don't smash your neighbor's pumpkins. It's really mean and it's messy, and I don't understand why you have the urge to smash a pumpkin. In the words I of just... Michelle Tanner, how? No, it was Stephanie Tanner that said, "How rude." It is how rude. I just don't get it. Just don't do it. Be nice. That's what, really this rule is: be nice, have fun, enjoy your Halloween experience, but. You know, be considerate of okay. people around you. Folks, you've got the do's and don'ts of trick-or-treating this Halloween from Caitlin Thomas. Thank yeah. you, as always. Have a Words. good Halloween. I'm excited to get all the candy that my kids won't be eating. <laughs> That's the spirit. I'm going to take their Kit Kat bars. Butterf- oh, Butterfingers. They're not going to see a Butterfinger in their containers at all. That's the spirit, Dad. Those will be gone first. <laughs> yep. Thanks so much once again. You nailed it. You knocked it out of the park. And uh, also make sure to take your pillowcase. And if you want to uh, be more efficient, get on some rollerblades. Cover more ground in less time that That's way. That's a good do. Yeah. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, we'll continue to have some fun. And uh, we'll also be speaking with Heather Johnson, who's going to uh, speak to us about creative parenting or parenting creative kids when we come back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning. If you're just joining us, this is the Matt Townsend Show. This is Jeff Simpson covering for Matt while he is away in beautiful Costa Rica. Uh, I don't know if that was the world's best accent, but there it is. It is Thursday, October 27th, and it is Cranky Coworkers Day. And, uh, you know, thankfully, we I don't feel like we have too many cranky co-workers here, even on Cranky Co-Workers Day. I think for the most part, everybody here is generally positive because that is what BYU Radio is all about, helping you see the good and be the good in the world. But uh, if you want to take a break from all that and you just want to be a little cranky, turn up the cranky knob just a little bit, then today is your free pass to do just that. Uh, But then on uh, Friday, you need to be nice again. That's just the way it is. 
All right. So today is also Black Cat Day. So if you see any black cats, uh, you know, just walking down the street, uh, not on their hind legs, but on all fours, just strolling down the street, make sure that you steer clear of them. Also, any ladders, broken glass, um, because you'll have what is it up to five years bad luck now for broken broken mirrors. Seven. I thought it was seven for ladders and mirrors. So, um, (laughs) Stephen Wright has a funny joke about that. Actually, he's like, I got five years for breaking my mirror, but my lawyer, or five years bad luck for breaking my mirror, but my lawyer thinks he can get me three. (laughs) <laughs> so, and it's not broken glass, I, excuse me, it's broken mirrors. And in just a minute, we'll also be talking about uh, pumpkin carving in the most unlikely of places, which is fitting because, as you know, and as we uh, were reminded by Caitlin Thomas just a few minutes ago, that Halloween is four days away. We'll also uh, be doing my next pick for the 12 days of Halloween movies. And I'm hoping that Terry's going to talk to us about uh, something that the CEO of Netflix came out and said. Are we going to talk about that? Yes. Sweet. Okay, but first... We need to get to the really important news from our really important non-cranky person. What We'll find out what the cranky status of Sadie, or Sadie Nielsen is here in just a minute. But let's head on over to Sadie Nielsen, what's going on around the country. Sadie. Donald Trump's Hollywood Walk of Fame star has been wrangled behind a wall, muted, stomped, and flipped off. But within two weeks left to go of the presidential election, a vandal decided to take a drastic next step. A man dressed as a city construction worker pulverized the star with a sledgehammer. The culprit, James Otis, said he wanted to actually remove the star to auction it off as a means of raising money for the women who have accused Donald Trump of sexual assault. Twitter plans to slash about 9% of its worldwide workforce over financial losses and an inability to find a buyer. The company announced early Thursday that it plans to record a charge of between $10 million and $20 million for workforce restructuring. Twitter, which has about 3,860 workers total, has failed to keep up with social media competitors like Facebook, Instagram, and Snapchat, according to reports. Facebook has gained 319 million users since the end of 2014, expanding to a reach of 1.7 billion people internationally. Twitter, by contrast, has gained only 15 million monthly users at the same time period. Twitter, as of June, has a total of 313 million viewers. Police in Oklahoma on Wednesday said a man on the run since Sunday for a string of violent crimes may be planning to kill several people he had on a hit list. Michael Dale Vance Jr. is wanted on two counts of first-degree murder as well as several carjackings and other violent crimes. Police now say Vance posted a video to Facebook on Sunday in which he listed several potential targets. Vance was last seen Monday about 160 miles from where the manhunt began. He fled in a police patrol vehicle on Sunday night after a shootout with officers and his broadcast escape um, on Facebook. And finally, in, in our... Lovely Halloween news. Mm. Uh, Burger King has gone all out with its Halloween costume. Not just branded with witch hats hanging from the ceiling and spray on cobwebs from the windows. The Burger King in Rigo Park, New York, has dressed up as the ghost of McDonald's. 
you know, because McDonald's is dead, right? Uh, the entire exterior of the restaurant has been covered in long, spooky white sheets. There are even eye holes and a McDonald's sign scrawled on the front. Boo! Just kidding. Reads a sign underneath the, the goalish outfit. We still flame grill our burgers. Happy Halloween. Wow. You know, you'd think that the ghost of McDonald's would be the ghost of Ronald McDonald because aren't they kind of uh, downplaying the whole clown? They're having some issues, yes, with the whole clown epidemic going on. So, yes, that is a problem. You know, there is something to be said about a a flame-broiled burger, though. Okay, here's the real question. Burger King or McDonald's? For the burgers, Burger King. For the fries... McDonald's. I have to disagree. What? I I have I'm an all around McDonald's girl. Even their burgers? Even their burgers, yes. Mm. Yeah. I'm a flame broiled guy. Uh shakes, I don't touch either one of them. No. Sometimes I can go for Burger King's chicken fries. That's on a really, really bad deal, and that's the only thing available in a very small town. So there you go. All right. Well, Sadie, thank you, as always, for your excellent work. And uh, go out and uh, get some McDonald's breakfast. Will do. Since I'm cranky today, you know. (laughs) Yeah. Thanks, Sadie. Wow. That's scary. The ghost of McDonald's. But it's not Ronald McDonald. Uh, Speaking of Halloween, you've heard of underwater basket weaving. But have you ever heard of underwater pumpkin carving? So um, the dive shop in Flint, Michigan, is creating a unique twist out of an old tradition with the 21st annual Underwater Pumpkin Carving Contest. So this has been going on for 21 years. They've been carving pumpkins underwater. About 30 to 40 scuba divers come out to the event to carve their pumpkins underwater. The pumpkins are judged and prizes are awarded to the top contenders. Yes. Underwater uh, pumpkin carving. Do you think that'll end up in the Olympics? No. No. Well, I think we've said all there is to say about I'm that. Just saying, I don't know why you would do that, but, uh, you know, people do things. And, yes. And, yeah, I'm not sure. Okay. So we've got to get to what the CEO of Netflix came out and said. We'll get there. Okay. Know what's your favorite story? I'm so excited. <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get there. Um, but before we get there. Um, the PRRI 2016 American Values Survey was taken. The results came out on Tuesday. Okay. They find that Americans are divided about whether American culture and way of life have changed for the worse or better since the 1950s. Okay. So what do you think? Saying that you weren't even born in the 50s. How the way you of know? life? But we're going to ask people. Right? <laughs> so, I would say better. Okay. For sure. I would say quality of life is better. Right. I am torn. Hmm. I think that there are some things that are good and some things that are bad. But, I mean, but, overall, but I think it's better. Better. Right. I think a lot of people have referenced to the 50s through, like, Leave it to Beaver. Yeah. And they're well, like, wow, life. And that wasn't life. That was just a story, right? I but guess. that's what people think it is. Well, you did have a bunch of major movements like the Civil Rights Movement and uh, a lot of reforms happening immediately following the 50s. Right, which would have been maybe and, not seen as being as great as the 50s for yeah, some people. I, but you didn't have cell phones. No cell phones. That, that's mm-hmm. the quality of life he was talking about. No DVR. Some people would think that was a good thing. 
Mm. I, have, I would, you have a DVR though, right? Sure. I would say I that like it's four better. Of them, I think. <laughs> I'd say that it's better. I think okay. I've I've solved our problem. There's about seven in ten likely voters who are supporting Donald Trump. So seventy-two percent. Oh. You didn't Amer- say they were Donald. Hold on, Trump. they're okay. saying American society and way of life has changed for the worse since the fifties, which oh. tracks with you know his campaign and what he tries to how, how he talks uh, when he's at uh, campaign events. While seven in ten likely voters supporting Hillary Clinton, or seventy percent, say things have changed for the better. Of course, yeah. Because everybody on the Donald Trump uh, Not wagon is – well, a lot but, of people uh, are fed up. The very – I mean this main slogan, make America better again or great again, right? Like uh, there was a previous time where it was great. We're going to redo that. Has Donald Trump ever come out and said what time period he considers to be no. great? If you do that, then you get, it, you get into details <laughs> and there's no details. You just say things and move on, right? Yeah. That's how both sides work. He doesn't do the details. So that was interesting. There's more, like, thousands of pages of things that they ask people that come out in that. But that was the one part that currently kind of resonates with what's going on. Now to your Netflix story. Yes. In the future, we might not watch TV on screens. It might not all be in our – it might all be in our heads. That's at least the theory held by Reed Hastings, the CEO of Netflix, the Telegraph reports. So this is – our mm. friends in the European press who are picking up on this. Hastings warned audience at a Wall Street Journal event earlier this week that technology and entertainment have a funny way of making the mediums that came before go bust. For example, how cinema and TV have made the opera and the novel less appealing to consumers. Mm-hmm. And then he says streaming, he said, could face the same fate. In 20 or 50 years, taking a personalized blue pill – you just hallucinate in an entertaining way, and then a white pill brings you back to normal. Which is what happens in the movie The Matrix. The Matrix, right? right? He goes, and if the source of human entertainment in 30 or 50 years is a pharmacological solution, we'll be in real trouble. You know, so I, you say take a pill, you'll hallucinate in an entertaining way, and then to bring you back to reality, you take this white pill, which somehow in the middle of your hallucination, you're going to figure out to take something that – just seems complicated. You may need some help. You may See, need a, an attendant of some kind to make sure you can make it back. It'd be really interesting if you could get plugged in and all of a sudden you could be inserted into some of those Netflix shows or shows that they have on Netflix. Like, right. oh, wouldn't it be kind of interesting to be in an episode of Breaking Bad? That would or... be a virtual reality thing, right? Yeah. You could It'd do be an, so may... hard to script that, too. Well, you wouldn't really you, – you, I, I think you could just drop into the scene and just sort of stand over in the corner and well, watch it happen. So kind of be like a fly less, on the wall. Way, way less fun. You I, don't want to be involved. You want to like instead of being over here, maybe stand in the kitchen and sort of look out and see what's going on. Just watch the show from a different viewpoint. I don't want to get killed in an episode of Breaking Bad. Or, yeah, you don't want to be really involved. You just want to be in a different place watching what's going on. Yeah. But – I don't know. Maybe I'm just weird. I like to be like, no, don't maybe, go in that room, man. Maybe you've watched the whole season of whatever show it is. You know the scene's boring, so you want to be in the kitchen eating a sandwich instead of watching the show. Is it going to make me full? I don't know. <laughs> so, this is virtual food. Who instead knows? of sitting on the couch and yelling at a character in a scary movie to not go in that room, you want to be in that room with them and say, let's maybe go this other way. You want to ruin the show is what you're saying. <laughs> I want to be an intelligent member of the human species. Thank you very much. It is kind of funny and scary how uh, dumb people seem in those scary movies. But you never know. I mean, if you were placed in that same situation, you would probably do a lot of the same stupid things.
things that they're doing. So you can't get too mad at these characters. But also with a machete. I would be doing all with yeah. protecting myself. Unfortunately, my mind thinks that way sometimes. Like if, if, if I'm out walking myself or walking, walking myself, yeah, like I'm on a leash. Uh, if I'm out walking late at night and, you know, I'm thinking, what if somebody comes up behind me and tries to do something? Oh, uh, I'll reach in my pocket and, you know, put some keys in between my fingers and I can punch him out or something like that. Anyway, that's kind of a dark way of looking at life. But I think everybody kind of thinks that way from now and then. Um, but, uh, yeah, that was just a, a cranky aside. But we'll, we'll move on to something else that's scary which is my next pick for the 12 Days of Halloween Movies. Now, the last few that I'm going to do are a little more obscure, and maybe you have not seen them, or maybe you're not as familiar with them. But my next pick is for the 1978 film Invasion of the Body Snatchers. And if you haven't seen it, it's actually a remake of the 1956 movie, uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, which is basically an allegory for uh, McCarthyism and this whole idea of uh, communists are going to get us. They're everywhere, you know. And so in the in the plot of this 1978 movie, which I don't think is as focused on McCarthyism, um, you have these aliens – uh, these alien pods that are coming down from outer space, and they are taking over the life of somebody who falls asleep. So it plays on our fears of going to sleep and what could happen in our sleep. And then uh, this person, this alien will take on the form of the person and look just like them, except they're an alien. So it's this fear of you don't know who's human and who's an alien. And you cannot beat the cast of this 1978 film. You've got Donald Sutherland in the leading role as a health inspector. You've got Jeff Goldblum at his best. You've also got Leonard Nimoy of Star Trek fame. That is a cast that I think anybody in their in their right mind would pay to go see. So it follows a similar plot as the 1956 movie where they're trying to figure out a way to beat these aliens that are coming down and taking over people in their sleep. And it has one of the creepiest scenes in movie history, which I won't give away, but let's just say there are aliens. When you, you can tell that they're aliens, and when they find out that you're still a human, they rear their head back, their eyes go big, and they make a noise that's like <laughs> creepy stuff. I don't want to give away much more than that. I will say go check it out for the cast, for the suspense, and I love movies where it's everybody against the main character, where he's fighting these incredible odds. Oh, go check it out. Scary Stuff, 1978 version of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. When we come back, we're going to be talking about something that is not as scary. We'll be speaking with Heather Johnson, uh, with whom we speak every couple of weeks. She's going to be talking to us about raising creative children. So you'll, you won't want to miss that when we come back in a couple of minutes here. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you live scarier, healthier lives. We'll be right back. Ooh. 
Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. This is Jeff Simpson covering for Dr. Matt while he's away in beautiful Costa Rica. <sighs> Wouldn't it be nice to be there right now? Well, he uh, hopefully isn't having too much fun, uh, <laughs> but he'll be back on Monday. Uh, until, until then, we'll continue having fun here on the program. And today and right now, especially, is no exception because we have once again... Our wonderful guest, Heather Johnson, who is going to be speaking to us about raising creative children. Now, welcome to the program, first of all. Thank you. Or welcome back. Yeah. Uh, Is your name Heather Ann Johnson? It is. Okay. I was going to say, because it says here Heather Johnson, but I could have sworn that we refer to you as Heather Ann Johnson as well. Yeah. I always, sometimes I use my full name, sometimes I don't, you know, just... An ode to my mom. The Anne comes from her. So. Yeah. Yeah. So in your bio here, it says that you completed your undergraduate uh, and graduate degree from BYU and that you've been an adjunct uh, faculty member there for the last 12 years and that you teach uh, you teach your students the principles behind successful families and the importance of family spending time together. I also noticed on here that you have a book, self-published book that mm-hmm. you came out with in 2011 called Family Fun Fridays. Yes. Where can I get that book? You know what? You can go to familyvolley.com and there's a link there. It's just got anything and everything you need to do with your families. It's great. So this is stuff that we can do with them on a Friday night? Any night. Really easy. Resources are right at home. You don't need to go out and buy a lot of stuff. It's just with what you have at home. Really giving families an opportunity to do things together, which we don't do enough. That's right. Yeah. I've got to get that book because... You know, I, in addition to working here, I go home and I do voiceovers and then by the end of the day, I'm so tired and I, it's not that I don't want to spend time with my children, but it's just like, I can't think of anything good to do with them. It's true. And sometimes the exact same Legos or the exact same activity over and over. You just need, we need new stuff. Yeah. And you know, sometimes... Luckily, our kids come up with the fun things to mm-hmm. do. And that's hopefully a little bit what you're going to be talking about here today, raising creative children. So what do you want to talk to us about in, in those regards here? Well, creativity is really interesting, right? Because even the word elicits a few immediate responses, art, crafts, mm-hmm. <laughs> those types of things. We think of painting, we think of drawing, but creativity is really so much more than that. So the first thing we kind of need to do is we need to change this definition that to be creative means we have to, you know, masterpiece, artwork, you know, Picasso, that that's what we're talking about. That's not what we're talking about here. At its root, creativity actually means to grow. And so that's what creativity means, to grow, expand, develop. And all Hmm. of those things are really powerful. Creativity is like a muscle. You know, any muscle in our body, if we don't use it, we lose it. And creativity is the same way. So our children come to us very creative. Their muscles are ready to go. But if we don't give them the opportunities to grow and to be creative and to develop, they lose that ability, and then we become adults, and we don't have, we don't have it anymore. Ah. So it's it's really important to look at it differently. There are some huge benefits. There's some new research out that's really cool that shows that creative people live longer. Mm-hmm. So that's a that's wow. a that's a pretty powerful one, right? When we look at that, that the more creative we are, it predicts a longer life. The reasons they're saying that that might be the case is because creativity decreases negative emotion, it reduces stress and negativity, it also reduces anxiety, which has become a huge problem right now for adults. A lot of adults are starting to suffer more and more from anxiety. Uh, we know that if there's a medical issue, creativity helps us 
helps the outcome to medical issues become more positive. So we have a better chance of working through whether it's cancer or whether it's a broken leg, whatever it might be. And we also know that overall, a creative person, it, it improves the quality of their life. So these, this right here is a huge benefit, right? Yeah. That, that we don't think of. We don't think, oh, being creative or growing and developing might help us live longer, but it does. So are creative people generally happier people too then as well? Right. So a happier life overall, because if you're, if you're lacking anxiety and you're lacking depression and you're living, you're naturally going to be a happier person. Yeah. So it contributes to that. So we're looking at these benefits, other benefits they found. Creative people are better able to solve problems. And this is so powerful for our children starting out. But as we raise them and help them become responsible, contributing adults, an ability to solve problems is a really big deal. It allows them to come at something with a lot of different angles from different approaches and be able to handle the things that are thrown at them. So we want our kids to be able to solve problems and creativity, this ability to grow and develop, allows them to do that, right? They look at something and instead of thinking, oh, that's it. It didn't work. I'm doomed. It's Oh, there's a problem. What can I do to work around it, solve it, figure it out? Yeah. Really important. This is something that I need because I've I've got a two-year-old and a four-year-old. And my four-year-old lately has just been acting like the smallest, simplest tasks right. are the most difficult. I <laughs> right. can't do this. Oh, I need you to take my shirt off. I need you to do this and that. And I mean, a lot of it comes with just being so tired by the end of the day. But I think creativity could be a, a big help for her. Absolutely. So what are, what are some things that we as parents can do to help ensure that we're raising creative children? Sure. So there's a lot of things we can do. The first one we can do is we can allow space for free play. Now, this is a big one. We see it in the research a lot right now. There's kind of this big push to examine, to research play more and more. Really, we're doing that because we lost our ability to play. Our kids' job is to play. That is their job. And so we need to allow them to do their job. We know our stats show us great things. For 13-year-olds and younger, they should be spending 80% of their unstructured time, meaning not at school, 80% of their free time should be spent playing. Wow. That's a huge number. When they're between 13 and 15, the numbers are 50-50. 50% of their time should be unstructured play with the other 50% being piano lessons or soccer practice or that structured play. So we've got to allow them space to create and and invent and explore. So unstructured meaning that we, the parents, are not over their shoulders, mm-hmm. you know, instigating their free play and saying, oh, maybe you should do this. Maybe you should do that. Right. And not okay. just that, but it also means that we're not saying today you have soccer, piano, violin, and mm. baseball, right? That's very structured. That's where we're putting them in these activities. Children actually only need one, possibly two activities at a time. And if mm. we look at what kids are doing It is far more than that, right? But when they're involved in so many of those structured activities, it means there physically is not time to play. Yeah. And so we need them. Now, the pickup game on the street of basketball actually does more for them in those young years to facilitate creativity and their ability to solve problems and communicate and grow than if they were on a structured team in those same years. Wow. Right? So we want them to get out. And play, right? What's going to happen out, you know, in front of your house when you're trying to figure out how to divide up teams and how to get along? Those are imperative skills. Yeah. So we want to allow them the space to do that, right? Okay. So we've got free play. Right. Okay. The next thing we're going to do is we've got to teach our kids how to deal with procrastination. 
And this is kind of an interesting one. We think, wait a second, creativity, procrastination, what are we doing here? But procrastination, when we understand it, it is an enemy to anything important we try to do in life. That's essentially what procrastination is. And when we look at it, we always think that with our kids, it's a lack of desire but that's not really where they struggle. It becomes a distraction and they don't know how to come over or overcome the distraction. And it's also an inability for them to have self-concentration. Yeah. So it's not a laziness. It, they don't know how to concentrate and they're not sure how to push through the distractions around them. Now, the number one distraction, as you can quickly guess for our kids these days – is our technology, is social media, is all mm-hmm. those things that come with phones and video games and TVs and computers and tablets and all of that. And so we find that one of the best ways to help them avoid that procrastination is to remove those distractions. Yeah. Now, the next thing we find when it comes to teaching them not to procrastinate is that oftentimes it's not that they're unwilling. It's simply that they don't know how to start. Ah. Which is really interesting. Okay. Now, if we look at our kids, we can see them at all different ages. Even, you, you know, you're talking about your two-year-old who's not sure how to take that shirt off or wants some help doing it. Oftentimes, we put things off and our kids do because they just don't know how to take a first step. And so when they don't know how to do that, they turn to, well, I'll just check Facebook really quick or yeah. I'll just distract myself over here really fast. And so we want to help them learn to overcome the hurdle of procrastination by taking first steps. Mm. And that comes from us. It's it's a teaching process. Yeah. And so we work through those things. But if we can work through that, then it allows them to engage, which allows them to problem solve, which allows them to develop and grow that creativity again. Yes. So it's a really important one. So we're speaking here with with Heather Ann Johnson. Do you prefer one or the other, Heather? No, I don't. Okay. Okay. We're speaking with Heather Johnson, who is an adjunct professor here at BYU. And we'll take a quick break and continue. When we come back, this is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you live healthier, happier, and hopefully more creative lives. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Matt, uh, Matt Townsend program. This is Jeff Simpson. I'm filling in for Matt while he's away in Costa Rica. We've been speaking with Heather Johnson, who is a professor at BYU, and uh, she's also the producer and director of the Listen to Your Mother show in northern Utah. And she, uh, let's see here, the national show aims to give Mother's Day a microphone and celebrates the good, the bad, and the barely rested of motherhood. Welcome back to the program. Thanks. So before the break, we were talking about, obviously, raising creative children, and you've already given us a couple of ideas so far. So free play is a big one, and also helping them to uh, not procrastinate as well. What else would you say is, is on that list? Well, some other things that are really important is we want to help them develop confidence. And so this is something we're going to help them do, but it is also going to be a byproduct of creativity. Kids who are raised more creatively develop confidence. And really what starts to happen is once they start to get involved in things and realize that failure's okay, that 
gives them confidence to try again, knowing、hmm. that they've survived failure in the past. Yeah. Now, if we think about it as adults, unfortunately, we still fail all the time. Things go right, things go wrong. It could be something giant like starting a new business. It could be something really small like a new idea or you know discipline program you're starting at home, whatever it might be. And so, an ability to fail and get through failure. Teaches our children it's okay to jump into something because we can handle failure and we can handle success. That gives them confidence to continue to try. So confidence is another one. We're going to help them build it by encouraging them, giving them challenges, and then also helping them deal with things when they fail. Our kids, unless they're taught how to handle failure, don't often know what to do with it, and so we've got to teach them that. And a lot of that probably comes in. How we approach the failure too, instead of making it seem like it's this big deal, maybe helping them see that it's okay, it's all right. It's absolutely right, and this leads us to another one, which is really praising the effort and not the outcome.、Hmm. This is something that, as parents, we kind of struggle with. You know, our kids become conditioned that they'll get praise when they succeed, when they get the A, when they win the game, when they do those things, because it's really easy to praise that, right? It's it's obvious that was good, but we need to not worry about praising the outcome and instead praise the effort they're putting in. That way, they'll know win or lose. What they did do was worth it. What they did do was recognized and important. If we only praise the outcome, only when it's good, they're not going to want to do something where they might fail. They're not going to be creative to problem solve. They're not going to try to do things on their own. Yeah. And so we've got to focus the praise on the effort. Give that your attention. The outcome, it will take care of itself. They obviously know if they won that that's a good thing. Sure. They need to hear from us that it was the dedication and how proud we are that they took three hours every day and stay focused. That's what we need to be praising. You know, this makes me think of a game that I play with my daughters called Corners, where you try to you try to find somebody that's hiding in a corner、mm-hmm. by by calling out the corner number. And my youngest daughter is convinced that if she's the first one to be picked or the first one to be out. That she's won the game, and my four-year-old、okay. has helped out with that a little bit. Like, hey, you won! This is this is a good thing.、Yeah. You did it. You know. Yeah, it's exactly、wow. right. And 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 throw that praise out there. And if we can learn or help them learn, you know, even you know, we think of something like a spelling test or things like that. You know, they're not going to come home with a hundred percent every time. So we're going to look for the process. We're going to look for all that they put in to get. Where they did go, and that's、yeah. what we need to support. That's what we need to praise. So I do want to ask you another question, but I want to make sure if there's any of these other、uh, any of these other points that you want to get to before I ask you that. Ah,、uh, you know, there's lots of other good ones. We need to、uh, let go of how we think sh- things should be. This norm we have this feeling that our children have to. Look and do and act, and and there are some norms we need to keep. But little things like、uh, allowing them to express themselves. I know we have an eight-year-old, and she loves to wear mismatched socks, <laughs> and that seems silly. But when she started doing it, she was probably four, and and I pushed a little bit. It was like. We don't wear mismatched socks. Like you have two socks; they're balled together. Those pink go together,、right. and purple go together, and white go together. And I realized it didn't take very long for me to realize that the only reason I was so、uh, forceful that they had to match was because I worried that people would look and go, "Why doesn't your kid have matching socks、sure. on?" Because that、mm. was the norm. And so once I let that go, I realized. What a great way for her to express herself, to be creative, and to be honest. She could do a million things that expressed herself in a lot of. 
more unfortunate ways, right? You don't even see her socks. They're underneath yeah. shoes. But she feels like it's this way that she can express herself. And so she loves to put ones on that match how she feels that day or match, you know, the bow in her hair. And she likes when one's pink and one's green. And let go of this idea that they have to do it a certain way. Do the socks matter? Not so much. Right. Does her ability to express herself matter? Yes, that matters. Yeah, and even beyond expressing herself, just in general, you are empowering her too. Absolutely, to make yeah. her own decisions, to own those decisions. You know, if someone ever says, hey, your socks don't match, she's like, I know, isn't that so cool? Yeah. And, it, and it's no big deal. And so we want to let them express themselves and be creative with those things that they can control. Giving them choices and giving them control allows them to feel like they have power over their own life. And as a child, you don't have a lot of power. We tell them what they'll eat, when they'll eat, when they go to bed, what they'll wear, when they can play, when they... We control so much of their life that anywhere we can give them control gives them power Mm. over choices. Now, it's just like adults. When we make our own choices, we own them. If you're going to tell me what to do, that feels very different than allowing me to choose what I want to do. Yeah. Kids are no different. So allow them to choose. They'll own that choice. They'll own if it fails or it succeeds. And they'll continue to learn and grow. Remember, creativity is growing. Yeah. And that's what we're trying to do here. We want them to grow. So just in closing, I'm, I'm taking another look at this list that you've given us. So talking about letting go of the norm, praise the effort, not the outcome. Uh, confidence, getting rid of uh, procrastination, Mm -hmm. and free play. And in a way, these are some things that parents themselves could probably do well to adopt, right? Absolutely. And isn't that funny? We always think, oh, there's certain things that we need to do as parents for our kids. But to be honest, adults, we were kids once, and human nature is human nature. It just manifests itself different. For our kids right now, it's, I don't know, finishing their math homework. For me, it's making sure my job is done or the house looks a certain way. It's all the same. It's all the same thing. So if we can look at these same things as parents, it will also instill in us a greater desire to be creative. Again, it allows us to grow. It allows us to be able to be more creative in the way we live. We know creativity is one of the most successful characteristics someone can have in business, just like in parenting. It's it's the same. That ability to grow, develop, solve problems, have confidence. It works for you and I just like it works for our 4-year-old or our 14-year-old. Well, I'm so excited to go home and try some of these ideas out. You've given us a lot to chew on. Heather Johnson, thank you so much for being on the program again. She is an adjunct professor at Brigham Young University. And also, make sure to go to her website uh, and check out her book. Uh, Well, the website is familyfolly.com, and the name of the book is... uh, Why am I... Oh, it's uh, (laughs) Friday Fun Days. Family Fun Fridays, yeah. (laughs) Wow. I'm sorry. I apologize. But... Have a good weekend. I hope you have a great weekend and a creative weekend with your kids. Thanks. You guys, too. All right. We will take a quick break. When we come back, we'll be speaking with our good brethren at BYU Sports Nation. This this is the Matt Townsend Program, helping you live creative lives. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. This is Jeff Simpson once again uh, filling in for Dr. Matt while he's away in Costa Rica. And it is my great privilege to have the chance to speak with two of our good brethren down at BYU Sports Nation and, and BYU TV. Today we're speaking with Spencer and Brian. Spencer and Brian, thanks for being on the show. 
Oh, you know it. We are here for you and for the people of BYU Radio. Oh, my goodness. That was so sweet. And, you know, I'm glad that you're saying that to me today because things have been a little cranky here in the studio this morning. Uh Uh-oh. What happened? Uh, Well, it's Cranky Coworkers Day today. Mm. Do you guys have any cranky coworkers there at uh, BYU TV? Well, as a matter of fact, I know one that I work with quite often who is not a morning person. Hmm. <laughs> he shall go unnamed. Okay. He's not here right now. <laughs> yes. So we can't, we can't name him. Well, it's okay because today you actually is – you get a free pass today to be cranky. But, so man, it, we love him. We love him. Actually, all right. for somebody that is cranky every day, there is – the day that he gets to be cranky, he, he's not he, here. He, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How ironic is that? Hey, it's also Black Cat Day, so look out for those black cats. Okay. I don't believe in that stuff. You don't? Are you are you superstitious at all when it comes to anything that involves your health? Brian's just a little stitious. Yeah. No. <laughs> just a little stitious. Yeah. No. No, like health, like, you mean like if a black cat crossed me, I have like seven years bad luck or something? Yeah. Will you walk under a ladder? Will you do any of that stuff? Yeah. You you know, the one thing I won't do is put uh, a hat on a bed. Why? You won't put a hat on a bed? Yeah. So so with me and, and, and when it comes to like Halloween and all that and being scared, I'm not scared of like killers so like jason and stuff like that right okay i'm scared of like the spiritual stuff like the ghost and like demons and things like that Hmm. why because i know that stuff is real with jason and stuff it's like i wish you would try to come in my house (laughs) i got two you know i got two kids i got a wife like it's uh, like it's it's going down it's going down so you already know how you would defend yourself against jason yeah 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 it's easy but but see like yeah he exercised his second amendment right yeah like with with, 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 like with like spiritual stuff it's hard because yeah, I mean, it's one is just scary because it's freaky. So I always heard the story that, you know, if you put your your hat on the bed, you you know you you let demons in your in that what room. in the world? I've never heard that. See, we were bad kids, <laughs> so we had, we had to get scared straight time out, and whoopings didn't really do anything for us. So we had to get scared in different ways. So, yeah. so if if Jason shows up, get out your gun. If a ghost shows up, then get, get out, out your, your proton Bible. your proton pack. Get out your Bible. Mm-hmm. Get your Bible. Mm-hmm. Hey, I've got an interesting story for you, and, uh, well, you might find it interesting. A Jackson County Circuit judge threw off his robe and helped tackle to the ground a defiant man during a hearing on a personal protection order violation. Tase him right now, the judge shouted as he rushed toward Jacob Larson, who had been talking back to the judge and blamed his alleged stalking behavior on the woman he was pursuing. The judge ordered the man to spend three days in jail, a period that quickly jumped to 93 days as Larson continued to aggravate the judge during the December hearing. Do you think judges should should have this power to just strip off their robe and take care of business, take things into their own hands? (laughs) I... I, where do you draw the line? That's I'm shocked. You know, you don't ever hear about something like that. And so, I I mean, has there ever been a case where a judge has thrown off of his, his judge robe and gone after a guy? It would have been so, more impressive if he would have kept it on. So, <laughs> this is going to set the precedent. Um, and here's the, here's the interesting thing about it. The judge's name was John McBain. So it made oh, me think yes. of Rainier Wolfcastle as McBain on The Simpsons. McBain. <laughs> This court is adjourned. Yeah. Ice to see you again. (laughs) (laughs) 
I love those McBain movies. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so maybe, who knows, maybe it'll set a, a precedent. But I, yeah, I agree. Maybe he should have kept kept it on and it would have sent an even stronger message. Yeah. Hmm. Exactly. I, mean, I, I, I guess I'm, the... I'm okay with it because it doesn't happen very often, but if judges all of a sudden just start like taking off and tackling dudes, yeah. it might get weird. I want to see the form, really, because if he tackled him and it was like really secure, I mean, he had his uh, shoulders down, head up, and he drove through, he kept his legs driving, I mean, then I, would, I wouldn't be mad about it, but... Yeah, I got to look at the technique and the form. So you said you're more interested in the technique and the form. Garrett here informed me that there's actually a video for this, so you guys definitely need to go and check that out. So you there's can a video check out for it? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Uh, there is a language warning, but uh, definitely <laughs> worth the watch. So, so watch it on mute un- until he's uh, till the part where he says, Tase him now! Judge tackles suspect in court. Well, that that is also the language warning because Tate's him was uh, uh, censored a little bit. Yeah. And then he ends it by saying, <laughs> this court is adjourned. <laughs> it's, oh, What's wrong with saying good stuff. Good stuff. <laughs> anyway, speaking of tackling, I know there's not going to be any tackling going on this week, but there are other sports that you are going to be talking about on your program today. What are you, what are you talking about today? Oh, the young guns of BYU basketball. With Emilio Estevez? Yes. No. But we did Photoshop in the faces of the young guns of the BYU (laughs) basketball team onto Emilio Estevez and friends' faces. Yes. True story. Check it out. BYU Sports Nation Twitter account right now. Uh, That said, the freshmen last night in the Cougar tip-off, which is the annual blue-white scrimmage for BYU basketball, were outstanding. Four different freshmen led the way in scoring, all going 20-plus or more. So we're going to get into that, which, which freshman impressed you the most, and we're going to talk about uh, a little BYU hoops as football is in the bye week. So perfect timing for BYU basketball to step it up. So remind us again when the first game of the season, the first actual game of the season is. Okay, so BYU will play two exhibitions, which won't count against their record. The first is this Saturday night against Seattle Pacific. They have another one against BYU-Hawaii. The first real game, which will count against the record, is November 14th when they host the Princeton Tigers. Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) Out of the Ivy League. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Oh, my goodness. So who do you like in those games? I know you talked a little bit yesterday about how you have the job of kind of speculating on how the BYU basketball team is going to do for the rest of the season without you know without any games in the bank just yet. I can't speak for everyone, but Jeremy and I kind of came to a consensus when we had the conversation about every game on the schedule. We went through it game by game, and we came to the idea that BYU would be 24 and 7 in the regular season and go 14 and 4 in West Coast Conference play and uh Get to the NCAA tournament wow. as a bubble team, but get to the NCAA tournament. That's kind of uh, as where we stand as a team on BYU Sports Nation. Maybe Brian Logan's more optimistic. I don't know. We'll find out what Brian's thoughts are after he watched the Cougar tip off last night. So. I'm just here, so I don't get fined. <laughs> so, any uh, any office pool going on? Hmm. Let's see an office pool at BYU Broadcasting. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but, you know, I, maybe there's like an underground office pool. Well, you know, you know, it's it's okay. If, and if, it, if, shall if, rena- it shall remain unnamed. As long as you don't have any dollars, you're good. I mean, you could do gushers and stuff. It's kind of like things. BYU Fight Club. You know, yeah. I was gonna say the first rule about the BYU office pool is uh, 
you don't so, talk about this. We shouldn't even be pool. talking about this. Exactly. You never know because there are always the rumors that there's a pool on such and such building on BYU campus, but you never knew if that was a rumor, if it was actually true. It's all rumors. You think so? Yeah, it's until proven innocent, I mean, until proven guilty. Rumors are relative to you know the person that thinks what a rumor is or what's true. Yes. What, what is truth? So uh, I don't know if you mentioned this already, but who is BYU? Who are the BYU Cougar football team? Who are they going to be playing the next time they're actually playing? Cincinnati, a week from Saturday at Nippert Stadium in the Ohio. Ooh, there you go. And speaking of Ohio. The Cleveland Indians just lost last night. That's right. Cubs won their first World Series game in 71 years. Fantastic stuff. And that, we may or may not talk about that on the show, which starts in about three and a half minutes. Mm. All right. Well, thank you so much for taking a few minutes to spend some time with us. We value our time with you. I hope you know that. I hope Good you times. realize that. Absolutely. And uh, go be cranky to one of your coworkers. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Thanks again, gentlemen. Sounds good. Thanks. Bye. <sighs> Love talking to those guys. And good program. Sounds like they've got a lot to talk about with BYU basketball coming up. First game of the season just around the corner in November. And unfortunately, it's a bye week for football, so you'll have to wait until next week. But there's plenty of sports that you can catch on TV, whether it's a BYU team or whether it's the Cleveland Indians and the Chicago Cubs, who I believe tonight is an off night for them. So I think you'll have to wait until Friday to check out Game 3 of the World Series. Both teams have been out of the World Series for so many years, so it'll just be great to see either one of them win. Garrett, do you have a favorite? Do you, are you rooting for the Cubs or the Indians? I think I'm, I'm going to go for the Cubs. Uh, it would be really nice uh, to, to just see them walk away with a win from this one especially i mostly i want the guy from the yearbook to uh you want him to be right i want him to be right (laughs) i just i just i feel like he needs a win yeah i don't know what's going on in his life but i feel like he needs a win well it's been over 100 years since the cubs have won the world series so we'll see what happens it should be a good series uh we, as you know, we like to end the show here with our hero story of the day, and this is another good one. Thanks to one man's generous act, dozens of kids at an elementary school in Burlington, Iowa, won't go hungry or broke. Local resident Jerry Fenton walked into Grimes Elementary School last week with a smile and a check to pay the overdue student lunch accounts for the whole school for the year. The man ended up donating around $700 to make up for the unpaid balances in students' accounts, I gave them extra money in the account so that every kid at Grimes Elementary School won't be hungry the rest of this school year. Fenton posted on Facebook last Tuesday. And then here's what I love. He uh, he posted a challenge as well. Now it's your turn to do something good for your fellow man. Fenton, the owner of Arrowhead Motel, said his act of kindness made him feel proud. He posted about the gesture on Facebook and was overwhelmed with praise. Wowzers! Jerry Fenton, a citizen of our community, paid for all overdue lunches of all Grimes kids today. Grimes Elementary posted on Facebook, Jerry, you are our hero. The school said the gesture made a huge difference in the lives of so many kids, about 89 in total, according to Fenton. Thank you so much, Mr. Fenton. Our hearts and stomachs are full, the school said. Wow, Mr. Fenton, you are indeed a hero, and I love the fact that you posted a challenge to all of us to go out and be a hero in our own communities. And as you know, you don't have to look very far for opportunities to help out 
And it doesn't even have to be something big. You can help out in small ways that can really make an impact on other people's lives. So there you go. That's our hero story for the day. Until tomorrow, we uh, will talk to you then. This is the Matt Townsend Show, where we help you live healthier, happier, and hopefully more heroic lives. We'll talk to you tomorrow.